Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season three of The Wire. Damask, how does it feel to correctly predict 20 of 24 Academy Award winners? Look, you know, it's just an honour to play the game. (laughs) Um, Look, I am... Very happy because, yeah, we have an Oscar party every mm-hmm. year. That's we get four all, years running now. We get all dressed up. We mm-hmm. uh, place bets. We have a little competition running to see who can pick the most winners. And you pretty much always win. No, I've won. Of the four times, I've won twice. Yes. But up until last night, it was two of the, th- the two other of night, the three. Two of the three. Um, and you get a great sense of pride in that. I just like, I like winning, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> I like to beat you down. Yeah, so, winning the other night a was A lot of people do. Wonderful. I've noticed that. A lot of people get satisfaction of beating yeah. me Yeah. Do you think maybe it has something to do with your personality? No, not at all. Okay. Good. Definitely not. Yeah. It's, it's, more, it's more about them than it is about me. <laughs> no, but you stormed at home. I did. We knew early on too. Mm. You and I had very similar bets. Yeah. Except for four categories. I kept a close eye because as soon as Damask, <laughs> I forced Damask to put in her bets. I wasn't going to do it this year. She I was, was like, too uh, overwhelmed. And, and you're like, like nah, no, do, do it. it. Especially at that time, I only had three people put in entries. Mm. I was like, come on, guys. And then we ended up with eight. So, yeah, right. whatever. But, um, and then yours came in. I looked at them and went, fuck, that's a good list. <laughs> That's a good list. And I think I'd watch maybe one or two of the films that were nominated. So. It, it's got more to do with research than it does yeah. with anything else. Yeah, totally. And you killed it on that. Mm-hmm. And then... I'm good at research. I think the only ones you missed out on were best documentary short, best feature... No, best live action short, uh, the original song, and then best picture. Yeah. The only ones you didn't get right. Yep. And, and I The blame... short ones, who knows? Yeah. No one knows those ones. <laughs> no. Nah. Cool. Excellent. All right, let's get into hot, Off Topic Hot Topic. Yay! Off topic, hot topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Okay, just a couple of news stories to go through, Ooh. first and foremost. Not much this week. No Brian Fuller watch, which is always sad. That is. He's, he's being inactive lately. He must be looking for some other, other job project to, to get on top of yeah. to leave eventually. <laughs> yeah. uh, Todd Spangler at Variety writes, Netflix eyeing total of about 700 original series in 2018. What? I'll, yeah, I'll just read the article. The Net- whole thing. Yeah, right. most of it. See you the, in half The now. pertinent stuff. Netflix, set to spend upwards of $8 billion on content <gasps> in 2018, will have in the neighborhood of 700 original TV shows on the service worldwide this year, according to CFO David Wells. What? Uh, just an editorial bit here already. Mm. Um, 700, when I said saw 700, was like, is that episodes? No, that's original TV series. Yeah. Which explains a little bit here. 
The huge bucket of content is driving up Netflix's subscriber base as well. Speaking Tuesday at the Morgan Stanley Technology Media and Telecom Conference, everyone wanted to know that, the <laughs> 700 range figure he cited includes 80 non-English language original products from outside of the US, such as psychological thriller Dark uh, from Germany and Club de Quervos. That's exactly how you say it. Yep, from Mexico. I'm really, we've, we've proven in the past we're really good with the uh, <laughs> pronunciation. pronunciation yep. Yeah, The total encompasses both new and existing original series, such as Origin of the New Black and Narcos as well. So they're building on top of that, but... Mm-hmm. So, including foreign stuff, including what they've already got, but they're going to get up to 700. That is so exciting. Particularly uh, uh, for... Uh, is it? I think it is, yeah. Okay. I it- think if any company is willing to put that amount of money into new content and not just American content, I think that's really exciting and a great opportunity for a lot of creatives. That's true. The company's strategy continues to be, let's continue to add content. It's working, it's driving growth. Well said. Asked how much content spending is enough for Netflix, Wells replied that there's no magic line where you know exactly where you are in terms of efficiency. In addition to original series, Netflix is planning to release 80 original films in 2018. That's like... One or two every three, uh, sorry, three every two weeks, basically. I feel like as, you know, the head honcho, you should know how much money, you know, equates Maybe they don't want to actually say that. (laughs) I realise that, but that sounds a bit loosey-goosey. Sure. (laughs) Maybe this is what he's saying, a conference compared to investors too. It's a little bit different. (laughs) He also said there's no religion at Netflix about the source of programming, although the company increasingly intends to produce its own content. People don't care where the stories come from, he said. We're about having the best content. We don't necessarily have to do it ourselves. Netflix ended 2017 with 117.6 million streaming members worldwide. Wow. And his quote is, there's more non-members than members of Netflix. I mean, yes, there's mm-hmm. um, 8 billion people in the world. Something like that. Um, that's our opportunity, well said. Citing an estimated 700 million broadband users globally. That's not including China, though. So, that's what he sees as their mm. potential growth the markets. World. Yeah, they want to they dominate the entire yeah. world. So, yeah, so that excites you, that much content. I think so, yeah. There's no part of you making a podcast that's about watching television that's a little bit scared that there's 700 Look, I've made my own bed thing. and I'm going to lie in it. Yeah, uh, I mean, every day I feel more and more overwhelmed, but it's a pretty exciting it is. time to be a television lover. And, well, and hopefully for content creators where in the mm. past, yes, you had YouTube to put stuff online and yes, you could, I guess, theoretically find your way through the Hollywood system and then get pitched and picked up and piloted and then eventually get a run going. Yeah. But that's such the hard road and mm-hmm. every though, though there were multiple stations or, or channels, there was only so much content out there. One streaming service offering 700 original TV series a year, yeah. inside a year. That suggests it might be a way of getting into that. Particularly it maybe gives you hope. A streaming service that, because obviously the the traditional model of being on TV and stuff, if you didn't find your market straight away, yeah. you're dead in the water. Yeah. Um, because obviously they were beholden to, what's the word I'm looking for? Advertisers and that sure. kind of thing. Netflix doesn't necessarily have to cut things so quickly. Like they can allow a show to kind of find their niche. And I think with the amount of money that is coming in for them, I mean, if they're spending what, like... What did I say? $8 billion? $8 billion or yeah. something on stuff. Um, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of more more opportunity for perhaps more niche programming out there, which is cool. I also... I, the thing I always need to do in this situation is remember that Netflix... The What I see of Netflix mm. is, A, I follow a lot of TV. And so, I follow TV news. So, I see the big stuff. But then there's a whole algorithm that's not pointing at me at any one stage. So yeah. there's kids programming that when my niece was staying over, she was showing me this show 
that was like set for sort of like tweens mm. that was like fashion cross with um like smarts and the quote she came up with was smart is the new cool i'm like cool you can watch as much of that program as you want <laughs> it makes me really happy that you're watching that show but i don't know you know that this is stuff i would never yeah. see that's their original programming too they're making that stuff as well so like that 700 number suddenly becomes less intimidating as a viewer when it's just, oh, well, you know, there's yeah. just potentially more stuff out there for me and just other stuff yeah. I'll never see anyway, thanks yeah. to the algorithm. And stuff for people who are nothing like us and yeah. want to find their own media. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, another story I wanted to go over. This one comes from The Wrap. Why DC's Batgirl movie won't happen anytime soon. I bring this one up, not because obviously it's not TV, but we talked about Joss Whedon, yep. or Joss Whedon leaving Batgirl last um, week. So I just want to follow up on that. DC Films and Warner Brothers are in no hurry to move forward with Batgirl now that Riot director Joss Whedon has stepped away. An individual with knowledge on the project told The Wrap, I always love anonymous sources, <laughs> there are no imminent plans to attach new f- a new filmmaker to the Batman spin-off after Whedon ex- exited last week. Last March, the studio announced... Uh, with great fanfare, the director of the Avengers, blah, 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 we know this stuff. Uh, according to the inside, the studio, studio always intended to develop the core members of the Justice League first. And so they see this as being something that was going to happen later down the track anyway. So I think they've just sort of gone from having a project that people were excited about because Joss was attached to, mm. well, now he's not attached, whatever. Yep. Which is a real shame because I would like to see a Batman film, a Batgirl okay. film, sorry. Yeah. yeah I mean, or a Batwoman too. film or any of those things. I would as well in theory, but yeah. I've given up on DC. you just pretty given much. up? Yeah. Fair enough. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, beyond that, the only other thing I really thought that was worth bringing up, though, oh, well, you pointed me to something today. You asked if we should think about doing Lost in Space because mm-hmm. Netflix released the... They had a teaser trailer out earlier in the year and then I think last night or the night before they released the te- the full trailer for Lost in Space Season 1. Yeah. Um, which is like a remake, obviously, of the whatever it was, 60s or 70s um, classic, I guess. People oh, are aware of it. Oh, it's definitely a classic. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those shows that doesn't have any of the same fandom or like. It's not like a Star Trek, which was of a similar era. Yeah, no, it's not a Star Trek in the nerd world, sure. nerd culture. Um, but it certainly was, I think, beloved as you know, Gilligan's Island or something like along those yeah, lines. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean, like yeah. it was a family show where you'd sit down with your family and watch and just have a bit of an adventure. And then there was the movie. In, I think the mid to late nineties. Matt LeBlanc. Matt yep. LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now the new series is out, and the trailer looks pretty cool. It looks very Star Trek Discovery to me, actually. Some of the imagery. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea this show was happening, oh, you and didn't then know. I was just going through my Facebook feed, and this Lost in Space thing came on, and I was like, "Oh, click!" And I was like, "I'm really excited." I I yeah, I don't have any like fanfare or nostalgia for the original series. Like, obviously reruns and stuff were on when I was a kid, but I wasn't really into it because it was sure. in like black and white and yeah. stuff. And I was like, meh. Um, the film certainly did nothing for me. Even as a child, I recognized that it was a terrible film. Sure. I had some of the McDonald's toys. I know oh, that Oh, me much. too. But that's yeah. just because it came with, you know, a cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't going in there specifically for the Lost in Space merch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have any of that fanfare for it. But I don't know, the trailer hooked me in and I was like, I'm ready for an adventure like that. Totally. Yeah, it looks cool. I'm definitely mm. I'm definitely willing to see it. Check it out. I think it's 10 episodes I read today. Yeah. So it's not super long. I assume because it's Netflix original, it's not like a CBS or an NBC fair like some of the other ones that will be released all at once, not weekly. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what the episode length's like because it's yeah. going to be a family yeah. thing as well. Is it going to be around that 40-minute mark? Are they going to push to their hour stuff that they do sometimes? Um, I'm keen to check it out. That comes out mid-April. So... Mm-hmm. 
look forward to us maybe uh, discussing that one. And also, the other thing that was announced this week and released with a teaser trailer, Luke Cage Season 2 has been announced. Well, it was already announced, but it has been set a release date Ooh. of June 22nd. So, something to look mm-hmm. forward to. Honestly, it all comes down to Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. We're doing Jessica Jones next week. We are. And I'm really excited. It, it is make or break time. It's either <laughs> if this is no good yeah. or even just par or average, mm. I might be done. That's, yeah. That's, we keep saying this. I know. <laughs> that's certainly the case for me because the only thing that kept me going through all the shit of the Marvel Netflix shows was the fact that I really did genuinely love yeah. season one of Jessica Jones. Like, I, I love that show. I think it's a great season. I did not have that reaction to any of the other series. Yeah. So, if season two of this show is shit, then I can just admit that season one of Jessica Jones was an anomaly. Yeah. Uh, it's a great one. I'll, you know, rewatch it. But yeah, if it's bad when it comes to Marvel and Marvel Netflix stuff, then yeah, I'll be done. Yeah, I think so too. The Defenders was just so disappointing. <laughs> I mean, like I felt like it. we had been beaten to death <laughs> with Iron Fist and then... <laughs> He's in Luke Cage season two as well. Uh, and then we had... Of course he is. And then That's we had to the- watch The Defenders and I just felt like they were violating our corpse. Like It was just like, <laughs> please stop. I've been through enough. Stop, stop. He's already <laughs> dead. <laughs> exactly. Um, how about you? What do you have to talk about for Off Topic off topic this week? Look, we've already mentioned the Oscars thing. That was de- I definitely we can talk to- a little bit more about the Oscars if you want. We just sort of went over the... Um, you just I, wanted to All gloat, I wanted to bring up was the gloat. fact that I beat you. Oh, good. Um, I, I mean, I loved Alison Janney's speech. That was gorgeous. I love Francis McDormand's Francis speech. Francis McDormand's speech was probably um, my favourite one. The rest of it I was pretty drunk for. Don't remember a whole lot. You were loud, Steph said. <laughs> I mean, I was sculling wine yeah. in the... In the- Shit seats at I the back I may have there. had a headache the next day thanks to that. Oh, yeah, it was, I was, definitely did. You know, champagne bottle was open. You guys had left. It was still half. I had to drink it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Can't waste those bubbles. Um, but yeah, I, I, the Oscars was fine. It felt a little lackluster to me. But I thought it was. Yeah. I mean, how do you compete with 2016's um, massive stuff up at the end, which was just made that legendary forever. Everyone will always remember the La La Land yeah. Moonlight fiasco. Was that not 2017? Oh, 2017, sorry. Yeah. yeah, good point. It was the 2016 Oscars, theoretically, the 89th. Let's say the 89th yeah. Oscars. Let's go with that. <laughs> That's much easier. The films from the year previous. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, I agree. It was pretty... It's, it's funny. People have been saying have, that the winners were predictable. And a lot of people are saying... Well, that's ridiculous. A film about fish fuck, fucking a, a fish man won yeah. Best Picture. How is that predictable? It's like, you're right. That's not a genuine Oscar winner, but it also was had the most nominations mm. and was winning most of the awards in yeah, the lead up to it. And abstract, so most people felt like- It doesn't seem like an Oscar worthy film, but in the lead up, it certainly seemed like it was certainly a contender. Yeah. So no one, by the time the show actually- comes around, no one's really surprised. Yeah. If something like Get Out had actually got up mm. and won Best Picture, I think I would have been a bit more excited about those sorts of choices. Or really, I mean, the categories we were both getting right were your best actors, yeah. best actresses, best supporting performances. Because in best doing directors, my research, that's what everyone was saying was going to win. Knew, yeah, and that's was, why I set, got them all. It seems set in stone. And so that's always, it's less exciting when that's mm-hmm. happening. Um, yeah. I think a couple of years back when Mad Max was in the... Fray. Oh, that was exciting. That yeah. was exciting because it was winning so many awards and um, in so many different categories. And I think it was top nominated as well, but it really had momentum going for yeah. it, which The Shape of Water didn't 
except for its production design. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't as passionate about these films as I was that year. Like, I was really rooting for I mean, Mad I, Max. I know I certainly wasn't because I barely had seen any of them. Um, whereas, yeah, the year when Mad Max was happening, was that the first year we had our little... I think it was second. Game? Second, anyway. Like, I had, like, really watched a lot of them. I was really excited about it. Um, but, yeah, I didn't. I just didn't have the time to do that this the year. performances this year were... Not great either. Like the musical stuff. There was a couple of real duds in there. Oh, what was the really rough Remember one? Me was real rough. And that's the song that I'm glad it won. That's mm. from Coco, Remember Me. I'm glad it won Best Original Song. The performance was awful. <laughs> um, the jokes were, especially the stuff with the Star Wars guys, were terribly written. Really bad. Jimmy Kimmel Mark was Hamill fine. had to like bring it home at the end with his own little joke. Which yeah, is good, good on him. Yeah. Thank you, Uncle Mark. <laughs> um, and they, I think the highlights were like Maya Rudolph had a really good segment and there was some stuff with Kamal Nanjiani. Oh, he was great. Yeah. Every time he was on screen, it seemed to be something good was happening. Yeah, because he's a genuinely funny person, as is Maya Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, how about those guys host a... Like, I think Ooh, the thing with Jimmy... I would watch the shit out of that. That would be great. Oh, yes, I like it. Jimmy Kimmel is a very safe choice. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't offend anyone. His views are very, you know... You know what his jokes are going to be. Yeah, and I think he does an admirable job, but it's never going to be electric entertaining Oscars. And apparently it's the lowest rated Oscars in terms of viewership, which doesn't surprise me for a million and one reasons anyway. Mm. No one's watching TV traditionally these days anyway. Everyone can just go and find out the results via Twitter or social networking or go on YouTube and watch the yeah. the speeches you want to watch later anyway rather than sit through that fucking four-hour ceremony <laughs> that only idiots like us like to do. Yeah. And that's only as part of a game and with drinking yeah. involved. And we're just laughing at everyone on stage. Yeah. 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 She's yeah. Greek, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was the favourite line of the night. Gorgeous. Just bringing it back up. Yeah. <laughs> was, was there anything else? Um, this is like a million years old, but I finally watched Kong Skull Island. Mm. And I really liked it. I haven't it. seen it, but I've heard it's actually pretty good. I really... It was such a fun, like, monster adventure film. That's... That, like, it made me laugh, but genuinely, like, I was, like, scared. The monsters looked really cool. cool. I liked it. It was good. I think it was up for Best Visual Effects or Best Production Design or something at the Oscars. It was... It was it's Oscar-nominated Kong Skull Island, by the way. Oh, really? It, yeah, <laughs> it was. I love doing that. Oscar winner, <laughs> Suicide Squad. Oh, God. Um, is that Brie Larson yeah. in that one? Yeah. Who else is in that? Um... Loki. What's his name? Tom, Middle- Tom, Tom, Tom Hiddleston. 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 Yep. Loki. <laughs> Loki. Good that's work. why I went with Loki. Good. I knew it was Tom something. Um, Tom, not Tom Hemsworth. <laughs> and Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Oh, yeah, cool. And, um, oh, Michael C. Riley. Is that his name? Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's in it. He's great in it. Really? really? Good. It's okay, fantastic. Cool. He is good, surprisingly good in a lot of things, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't find it surprising at all. I think he's well, great. I think every time, sometimes I see him cast and stuff. Oh, and go, not Michael C. Hall. That's, no. Who? John C. Riley. John C. Riley. I actually knew who you meant. <laughs> yes, sorry, and, yeah. and that's who I was thinking of anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I think it, uh, there was a time when he would get cast and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. And then mm. he's in it and go, oh, he was really good yeah. in that role. Um, okay, cool. Maybe yeah. I should check that out. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Cool. Anything else? Um, oh, I started rewatching The Keepers because What's apparently I hate myself and just want to feel pain constantly. It's this Netflix original documentary series, like kind of in the vein of Making a Murderer. Right. Making a Murderer. Is that, that's what it's called, yep. right? Yep. Um, it's about these like women in their 50s and 60s who their teacher, who was a nun at this Catholic school, is murdered like back in the 60s. Wow. Um, and so they start investigating it and they uncover this huge, huge 
messy thing. And I won't give away any spoilers, but all I could say is that, I mean, it happens pretty early on, but like the Catholic Church, not like the faith or whatever, you can believe whatever you want, but the Catholic Church as an organization is fucking sure. disgusting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think most people can agree with that. And if you don't, you're probably part of the problem. Go watch Spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll convince you. Yeah. Um, or just watch The Keepers because that will definitely convince okay. you. It's yeah, it's but it's really well made. It's fantastic. So I'm rewatching that and it's very upsetting, but it's great. Cool. Awesome. Should I check it out? Are you is it you oh, recommending this yeah, to Yeah, definitely. Years? Absolutely. Cool. Maybe I will get along to that. Anything mm-hmm. else? No, that's it for me. Okay, let's move on. Start talking uh, our spoiler free review of The Wire season two. Season three. Shit. <laughs> Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Wire Season 3 puts our favourite unit of Baltimore cops back on the tail of the Barksdale crew from Season 1, chasing drug supplies and fighting the rising tide of street violence. Replacing last season's crew from the docks are new faces Robert Wisdom as Major Howard Colvin and Aidan Littlefinger Gillen as Councilman Thomas Carsetti. Season 3 consists of 12 episodes, each coming in at around 56 minutes and took us approximately 11 hours and 15 minutes to watch. So... Some spoiler-free thoughts mm-hmm. slash review of season three of The Wire. Damask, would you like to go first? No, I'm going to let you go okay, first cool. this time. Okay, cool. I will go first. <laughs> You're I'd... so excited. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I never get to go first. Yeah, I always I pass the I, buck. I, I thought I'd uh, send it over to you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, I first, I think the first thing to say is that I think it's definitely a step up from season two. Mm. Like we talked about season two and how the show was definitely not bad, but we felt it was a pretty big step down from season one for a number of reasons that you should go back and listen to that podcast if you want to know why. But... For one thing, for certain, is I'm just glad that where we start this season, our characters are together straight away. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) One of the biggest problems I had, yeah, last season was just they were separated and it took a long time to get them back together again. And not everything, not everyone's working together exactly yet, but the main group seemed to be. And so, there's no waiting for this re-team to happen Mm. for the most part, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciated. Going back to the Barksdale crew and sort of just taking, going from that blue-collar crime back down to street crime or street level crime, I thought was just more fulfilling overall to watch, um, at least the way that this show tackles these things. It was great to get back to characters and dynamics between characters Mm -hmm. that I'm already invested in because of season one. Um, And also just, I think the street crime stuff is more visceral and exciting than being sneaky with shipping containers. Do you know what (laughs) I mean? It just by nature is more sexy and more um, gritty and more... I don't know, just more energized and, and interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. There's no really super annoying character like we had in season two as well, Thank that I won't mention goodness. by name. Yeah. But that character is not in this season. I don't season. even remember his name. I do, and I'm just not going to say it. Okay. But the just going to forget he exists. Jar Jar. There's no Jar Jar this season, we'll say that much. Um, and so that's a relief. And I think there's a little bit more time, tiny bit more time spent on the personal lives of our leads. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate, even if it's a bit patchy, it sort of comes and goes and it's more just sort of background texture or flavor stuff than anything that's really affecting the plot too mm-hmm. much. But it does allow us to at least explore these people and how the job is affecting their personal lives. That's definitely there, which is good. Not that their personal lives ever seem to affect the job, if that makes sense. Um, I thought it has a really, really interesting discussion and examination on drug crime and how it's being policed, which is great because I think there was a lot of that. We talked in season two, the blue collar crime stuff was really well talked about, but but 
I think what helps this time is we've got season one. It's up a baseline. We understand the Barksdale crew and we understand the cops and they build on top of that and get to a point where they can go, you know this stuff. Now let's examine it. Let's change it up. Let's switch things up. Let's experiment a bit and make you think about, well, how are we approaching this problem? And Mm -hmm. I love that it can do that. Um I still love the procedural elements of the show, though they t- seem to take a lot less of the spotlight this season. Certainly a backseat. Definitely backseat. It's not it's not as fun as it was or well explored as it was in season one. The probably the only real criticisms I have is that I don't think it quite hits the highs still of season one emotionally for me. I I I don't think maybe I'm chasing the dragon here a little bit by <laughs> by wanting to get that moment back. It would hit me so hard, that season yeah, one moment, okay. which we talked about before. Mm-hmm. And there are things in here that are really good, and better than season two for sure, but it still can't ever seem to grab me the same way that moment in okay. season one did. Uh, maybe I think that defined season one for me a lot, that moment, because it was where the show for me was like, oh, this is the show. This is the yeah. potential of the show. And I think that moment defined the show for a lot of people. And right. I, and I, yeah, I think that brought people throughout the seasons. Um, I certainly didn't feel that way. I mean, I felt that moment in season one, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it got there in season three as cool. well. I'd be interested to hear what part that was. I think, like I said, there are definitely some good mm-hmm. moments there, but just never quite gets to that same high for me. Mm-hmm. And I also thought we've the show's always been a little bit slow or it takes a while to get itself going. The thing about season one, I, think, I thought it had a really good build-up to to get to where it was going. Mm. This one sort of starts off all right, sort of has a bit of a weird middle where it sort of spins its wheels a little bit. Okay. And then all of a sudden by episode seven, mm. it's almost immediately episode seven, bam, and it's like off. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it, it just took so long to table set and then finally it's like, it's like you know, when you get those little cars you get like in, I don't know, and you pull them back on the carpet, you pull them back and pull them back oh, and yeah. then you release them and they take off. It was like it was just six episodes of pulling it all back and then seven is like released and allowed it okay. all to happen. It's how it felt to me. Yeah, interesting. What about you, Damask? All right. So, yeah, like I've got a lot of similar points to you cool. as we tend to do, unfortunately. Um, so it is a similar story to season one, mm-hmm. which I certainly preferred to season two. Um, it was nice to be back in familiar territory with familiar faces. And I love this next chapter of the story. Yep. Um, you know, like, can you change the world? And if you can, is it sustainable or are the systems we live by built to maintain the status quo? Like mm-hmm. I love all that stuff. Um, you know, like you said, we have the major crimes unit from the get-go because yeah. that was always a frustration for me. It was like, you know, feeling like, oh, I've got to wait around until we get to that point. And there is a feeling of waiting in this season, absolutely, um, of where all of the, you know, where are the threads going to go? There's but a it, lot of threads yeah, too. Yeah, but it feels, for me watching it, it felt like anticipation and excitement as opposed to being frustrated by slow pacing. How did you go... Um, in terms of watching this this week, mm. would you be able to break it up well? Or did I you- actually broke it up a lot more than I have previously. Yeah, I, I kind of ended up the second half of the season in two days, and I wish I'd spent got to break up a little bit mm-hmm. more, just a bit more breathing room with it. Yeah, I certainly know that I was paying more attention. I was more engaged with breaking it up the way I did this week. It it really did help my enjoyment, my engagement of the yeah. show. Um. So, you know, this is my favorite season yet. Okay, um, cool. We have the two opposing sides. Like, not it's not the cops and the criminals, but, 
you know, the people wanting to toe the line and uphold the status quo and the people willing to kind of skirt around what's expected and trying to create change to make a difference. And we get to see each of those things, like the swelling discontent and desire for change mm-hmm. or the comfortability of what they know and those two forces. The comfortability? Yeah. Okay, cool. I've never heard that word before. I was going to say comfort. <laughs> the comfort of... <laughs> Just ruin my flow there. Sorry. Um, but like those two things like battling it out. And we not only see like the flaws in the system, which have been very apparent from season one, but like the flaws of the people within it and how yeah. that really affects the outcome of Absolutely. what you can and can't do. And they give us characters like both old and new who we root for, but who are complicated and not necessarily easy to like, which they have always done and just have continued to do in this season as well. And it's like this season, like it just felt like grand storytelling Mm -hmm. that is like, I love this show because even though it's grand storytelling, it finds so much value in like the small human moments. Sure. And I loved it. The, the ambition and the scale is definitely bigger than it's been Mm. before which I agree is really great to see. They're asking big, big questions, mm-hmm. um, not just, yeah, intricacies of how these things yeah. work and how that... Well, I think the first season we discussed is really is of like how the people fit into the system, yeah. right? And so that one person is sort of just being put through the... the on the conveyor belt and put through the system and spout the other side. Whereas this year, it's more like, let's question the entire system mm-hmm. and the people who make that run and ha- yeah. why it runs the way it does. Yeah. And yeah, it, that is very cool. I 100% agree with that. Definitely. Um, anything else before we talk scores? I don't think so. No. Cool. What would you give this out of five? I'm going to give it four and a half, mm-hmm. which is what I gave season one. Mm-hmm. Um, it lost half a star Yeah. because there are ca- still characters in this show that I really struggle with I don't find like I just don't want to watch them there's one in particular that I actively hate not as like because of the character's choices or whatever it might be but because I think it's a bad character is this the same character that you from season one that I was just like this is absurd one and two or just season one just one. Oh, okay cool there's Ooh. one that I'm talking about now is from season one. I don't think I know who that is. I'll be interested to hear. Who I'm just like, why are you here? I know there's a character you, d- you think is gross. Yeah, well, that's also an issue for yeah. me. Um, but this character that I'm talking about, it just from a different show. And I don't know what they're doing here in this world. And I, I just don't like it. Sure. Um, yeah, so f- it's not perfect, but I really loved it. So four and a half. Cool. You? I'm going to give it four out of five. Mm-hmm. So that puts it squarely between... Because I upgraded season one to a 4.5 retroactively because I cheated. <laughs> um, I'm going to make this one a four um, mm-hmm. because I, it's definitely an improvement. It's definitely excellent. Yeah. I even wonder if... I, I, I think I agree with everything you're saying and maybe given a bit more time to digest it or a yeah. re- rewatch or any of those things, I might feel the same way. But my current feelings are just that for some reason, I, I think it's got to do with maybe my feelings are that season one is a pretty successful whole, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you can just take that season and go, bam, done. That's a great yes. it's a great story. This one is a very cool story and it's a really good build on what they were doing mm-hmm. in season one in particular. Yeah. I guess, I think there are a couple of storylines here that 
are going to build into next season. Yeah. They kind of were like, this feels superfluous right now, though. Totally. And they got I, a I lot of that. screen time, too. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, but that did not really affect anything else that was going on. Do I need to see that right now? And yeah. Maybe I'll probably appreciate it next season I did. Um, similar yeah. to the Barksdale stuff they did include last season helped this season along, but it just slows things down when there's already so many things to my brain to be tackling and these other like yeah. three or four characters. I'm like, why are we, why are we keep going I here? I totally agree with that, that. There are certain stories where you're like, where is this going? And by the <clears> end of it, you're like, oh, well, it, that didn't really tie into anything Not in else. a major way. But obviously because now we're up to season three of this show, we understand how this show functions and that that will most likely... I'd be shocked if it didn't would lead into um, something it, it, in the next season. It almost definitely is. So with that understanding, I was okay with that because I sure. knew that's what they were doing. But yep. I agree, you know, if as as a whole, those as moments a season of television, yeah, I think that's those that's moments why I give do it feel superfluous. Like, yeah, I know I agree with that. Something you've thought, which is to say I still really, really liked it a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, should our listeners go watch the show or keep listening to the podcast, spoilers and all? Go what For this one in particular, definitely go watch this it. This one, I definitely agree. Go watch it. I think that it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a really fun discussion to have having watched the show now. I'm really looking forward to the discussion, but it's going to help a lot if you've, if you've seen it. Unlike where I said sort of season two was a bit like, oh, maybe whatever, you definitely watch season three. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck around. Yeah. Cool. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, let's start talking spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in season one, two, and three of The Wire. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Wire up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. The towers come down with a crash. Things are changing around Baltimore. Avon is home, Stringer has fully transformed into business Barbie, and McNulty is chasing Stringer around like a psychotic ex-boyfriend. Seriously, dude, he just isn't that into you. But McNulty won't give up on his man. They're meant to be. He just knows it. So he starts taking a closer look at Dee's suicide. And he's read Fifty Shades of Grey enough times to recognise a bit of dodgy belt play. It ain't right, and he wants to stir up some trouble. Meanwhile, there's a creepy guy skulking around City Hall, muttering to himself about being Baltimore's white knight. What a cuck. Am I right, internet culture? I don't understand things. Uh, Anyway, his name is not Littlefinger, apparently, but actually Cacetti. 
He gives Burrell a hard time about all the drugs and murder. So then Burrell gives his majors a hard time about all the drugs and murder. And then the majors give all of their lieutenants and officers a hard time about all the drugs and murder. And the only guy who seems to notice that giving people a hard time doesn't really seem to be stopping all the drugs and murder is a cool dude with an adorable name. It's Bunny Colvin. I am in love. This man makes my heart sing. So if he dies next season, I'm going to set the world on fire. Anyway, Colvin, or Bunny, as I will be calling him from now, comes up with a kooky plan to set up three safe zones where dealers and the procurers of drugs can come together without being hassled by the police, therefore leaving the rest of his district safe for those who aren't super into drug culture. And it works. Sure, the safe zones are gross, but they have a needle exchange and access to prophylactics. It all seems like a pretty rational compromise to me. But of course, Herc aka the walking chode, is upset because he doesn't get to beat up little kids anymore, so he starts pouting. Poor guy changes hard. Carver feels pretty bummed about the situation too, until Bunny sits him down and spells it out for him. The streets are not a place for warfare. The neighbourhoods they protect are not enemy territory. They're communities full of people that both need their protection and have a right to that protection. The war on drugs isn't police work, because police were never meant to be soldiers. They are the protectors of communities. And Carver gets it, which actually shocked me. While he may find the situation frustrating, he trusts his commander. Maybe he should have retold that fine speech to Herc. Oh well. We have a new face in Cuddy. He was one of Barksdale's soldiers, but was put away for 14 years. Now he's out and has no idea what to do. He has a hand at gardening, but his green thumb ain't too great. Perhaps he should put his trigger finger to work. Nope. He discovers that shooting people in the face isn't really his jam anymore. What's a fella to do with all his spare time? Well, he starts a boxing gym for a bunch of the kids who are left with nothing to do now that the safe zones are up and running. It's a pretty cute story and I'm hoping will play a role in seasons to come, otherwise what was that? Avon and Stringer are having marital issues. Stringer wants their childhood dreams to come true, but Avon still finds his value in being the best player in the game. A new kid is on the scene, Marlowe, who has no problem taking many of Avon's street corners. This calls for war. Stringer is pretty sad about this, having his business associate murdering a bunch of people is a bit of a PR problem. He calls on his drug co-op partners to help temper the problem, but without cooperation from Barksdale, there's not a whole lot they can do. Carcetti is working hard to bring down the mayor so he can eventually run for office, because if he learnt one thing from his time at King's Landing, it's that when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. And he's not ready to die. Everybody's favourite renegade Omar is still out there hitting Avon's crew and stealing their shit. Stringer tells his men to be prepared and they're just that when Omar comes calling. Sadly, one of his people is killed and Omar sees the price of his revenge. Stringer is distracted in a meeting when he gives the order for his men to kill Omar, but it breaks the Sunday morning truce and sets in motion Stringer's demise. Meanwhile, Avon is busy at war with Marlowe. They set up a trap for the young up-and-comer, but he's too smart for them. Avon almost gets taken out. That's the price you pay for underestimating your enemy. When Stringer realises he's been hustled by his so-called legitimate business associates, he tries to have one of them killed. That is, until Avon interrupts and is all like, Excuse me, Mr. Hypocrite, didn't you say gangster shit was beneath us? Yeah, go sort it out yourself, you loser. Herc and his hooligan cop buddies are still sitting on the sidelines. They've had enough, so they call the media. Bunny's on it quick smart and kills the story for at least a week. But now he's in hot water. 
and if you've seen Fatal Attraction, we all know how bunnies go when they're being boiled. He tells Burrell what he's been doing and everyone loses their shit. The mayor is freaking out and meets with his police commissioner. This meeting is pretty much just everyone pointing fingers and screaming. Burrell runs back to his people to try and cover his ass, and the mayor tries to figure out a way to spin the initiative as a good thing. Guess who's back in town? Yep, it's Brother Muzong, the face no one wanted to see. He goes to Avon and has a chat about Stringer's less than honourable behaviour. Avon is quick to believe it since, you know, Stringer admitted to killing D, which, whoa, big deal. And so Avon gives up info on where Stringer will be. Muzon and Omar team up and chase Stringer through a construction site like he's Drew Barrymore at the beginning of Scream. R.I.P. Stringer, you got too big for your power suit. McNulty's heart breaks when he finds out his man's been taken out. The MCU finally had Stringer on the wire and were ready to take him down. But McNulty should know that nothing is fair in love and war. One of the last things Stringer did before he died, to once and for all fuck over his friend, was to leak info to Bunny about Avon's safe house. McNulty and his crew finally have a moment of satisfaction when they bust down the door and find Avon and his crew surrounded by guns. And a rogue grenade, which I thought was pretty cool. Avon's going away for a long time. Goodbye, Avon. It was nice knowing you. Carcetti brings Burrell before his council and bends him over and goes to town. He sets himself up to be a big political player. And I look forward to seeing just where his career goes next time on The Wire. Deep Dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Thank you very much, Damask. Uh, that was a great one. I really enjoyed that Thank recap. So well done. So there were some great lines in there. Mm. What was there? Was the one about the, the green thumb and the trigger finger? And then there was oh the Bunny Boiler. The Bunny Boiler one. I'll be honest, I was pretty satisfied with myself when I wrote it. I that was, was like, oh. That was great. Genius comedy writer over here. <laughs> let's start. <laughs> um, let's start by just going back on one of the points you brought up earlier. Um, you said there was a character from season one that you struggle with. Who's that? <sighs> Brother Muzon. That's from season two. Oh, really? Brother Muzon oh, comes I'm at the sorry, end, Towards sorry. the end of season two, yeah. Which is why I was surprised why he, oh, when he I'm didn't so come sorry. in. Because yeah. that's why I was confused. I was like, if it was Brother Muzon, I was like, that makes sense to me. Right, yeah, yeah. When you said season one, I was like, I have fucking no idea who you're talking about anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah he came in at the end of season two, middle to end of season right, two. Right, okay. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. He's a fucking cartoon character still. <sighs> he does just, not like- fit in this at all. And it's really weird. Does he interact with... Does he interact with Avon once? Maybe he does have one scene with Avon. In this season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he does. But it's like That's where he, he gets his information from. Right, but he comes in and he's like he had that that little like he was there, he was helping out with getting rid of the East Side crew in season mm. two, and then the bit with um Omar happens because Stringer Bell put him up to it, and then he comes back and he just sort of inserts himself back into the story when uh, um when uh, Omar needs that stuff to happen. Yeah. And just to finish off Stringer Bell. Like, he doesn't tie into everything else that's going on. He just sort of comes in. I agree. I just wrote down a lot. Because I was, when as soon as he turned up, I was angry. And Me then, too. I was like, why? And then this l- these lines happen. So, his associate asks him, what happened to all them towers? And he goes, reform, Lamar. Reform. reform. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> They're not even hiding it no. anymore. I was like. He does his- not belong. Like, forced villainy yeah. makes me so angry but, uh, and uncomfortable. I was like, what is happening? It's just forced character. It's for... I don't... I, I, nah, I'm not for it. It yeah. doesn't belong here. 
It just doesn't. It's just like doesn't it's from fit. a weird stage production of a Malcolm X musical. Like, it's just, if, I don't understand it at all. If you're going to have a character like that, I feel like we need to know more about him, where he comes from, mm-hmm. why, how this happened, what he's upbringing, what, all of that stuff. Yeah. But to just insert him, say, oh, Brother Muzon's going to fix it, and then sort of he reinserts himself back into storyline later and barely interacts with um, Avon or Stringer, it really just mainly interacts with Omar yeah. to get Omar's story happening towards the end. It just, it's weird and bad. Yeah, I don't agreed. like that stuff at all. That wasn't the one I was talking about. I mean, it is one of them. Um, but uh, Littlefinger's character, Carcetti? Carcetti. I should say Carcetti. 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 He's the other Carcetti. one. He's the other one. Whose storyline, he's there from the beginning. Mm. He obviously is around. So, all you didn't st- like his stuff? It's not that like I didn't like oh, it. Okay. It's that it doesn't have much of an effect on what's happening, right? So, he's sort of like, he's riding the wave to, for his own personal gain that will happen much more next season, mm. right? He's very little influence or say in what's happening so much as he's reacting to it and then using that for his own personal game. I yeah, said, I think like he lives in this world of grey in which he sees things happening and when he can push things to his own gain, he does. When, you know, the witness protection thing, asking for like better numbers, that kind of stuff is happening. And then also when it's about to come out about the safe zones and he gets in front of that and kind of puts it out to the world from Burrell. Like his team team up with Burrell, I think really pushes a lot of things to happen. I don't know. He's not, he, mm. he's, he's not, there's no very little risk for him. There's very little, it's nothing's being pushed on him except how much he's going to gain from this or not. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not, I like sort of seeing he's got this ambition, he's got mm-hmm. this goal, he's getting people around him to maybe go for mayor or whatever, which yeah. is where we leave the season with him next season, theoretically going up for election. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, yes, he is one of the ones that's putting the pressure on to increase or decrease the crime numbers in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's... He, but it's like you could have had all the other stuff with him taken out. He could have just been that council member that got whiff of this and reacted when it made sense more like how the mayor operated so like the mayor sort of is there to do that role too yeah but no i liked being able to see because like obviously on the street level stuff we get to see the intricacies of these people's lives and so i really liked diving a little deeper into the intricacies of how while the 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 struggle for political power and to reach for those high aspirations trickles down and is affecting people like i quite like that i and i one thing I really liked about Cacchetti is that he seemed like a, a real little weasel. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I thought he was going to just straight up be that I guy. I kept thinking it was the origin story of Littlefinger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, at, yeah, at every turn I expected him to do the dirty. Totally. Yeah. And while he certainly has – like, he, his character kind of confused me in a really cool way. And, like, he certainly has those high aspirations. But for the most part, whether it comes from – what, wherever that it comes from, a lot of what he's doing is quite well-intentioned. And yeah. he certainly wants power, but he does seem to appear to have a genuine interest in bettering the city. He's not actively doing things that are harmful to the city as a whole. And I was just really confused by him because he does do things that are like, oh, that wasn't the greatest choice, but I can see why politically you would do that. 
But yeah, he never seemed to be the scumbag that I was always expecting him the, to be. The bit that's confusing, he was a lot more nuanced than that character. That he, character would generally be in another show. The bit that's confusing early on mm. is you see him sleeping around, like yeah. sleeping around with his family, mm-hmm. which doesn't really return. He has that one bit where he is talking about how he's going to pick up. I think they call him a gash hound, which is disgusting. Gross. One of the most disgusting terms I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just was. In, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, I heard that. Yeah. And then he gets put up. He does a bet or something to go and hit on the woman at the bar. And that ends up Turned being... to be his friend. Yeah, yeah, his friend who's going to be his campaign major essentially later on. Yeah. Um, uh, that... Because then it becomes very much about... We see that he is kind of a good dad and he's got a good relationship with his wife for the most part. And you're right. He seems like the little guy who maybe can make a difference but needs to learn to play the game better. And, like, there's a there's a story about how mm. someone like that could be corrupted by that. Go from being someone well-intentioned and then over time, because he's got to learn to play the game and throw his friends under the I bus mean, and when to do things. I've seen that before, though. I know. Yeah. I understand that. But, like, that's that. it's weird that then you, to have that, the him sleeping around bit, mm. is like, where does that fit into the portrait you're painting there, except just to be, well, I think just to that, make a bit more textured, I that, guess. Yeah, that adds to the grey area that he lives in. Well, like, he clearly does care about his wife and family, but he wants what he wants. And so, when he's fucking that woman, he's, yeah. like, he's literally, like, looking at himself. So, he certainly has that aspect yeah. of narcissism, of, yeah, wanting to feel powerful, but he does have some values as well. Because I think the the flip side of that is when you look at the stuff with Cutter, right? Which I think is... He has a lot less influence on mm. the story, but similarly seems to be more like in parallel to the stuff that's really happening in the middle of it all. He, um, Carcetti sort of at the top end um, of what's going on, but still on the periphery. And then Cutter is at the bottom end, but on the periphery, periphery as well. Yeah. And I think those two are interesting because I do think they're going to be more important later mm. on. Yeah, and I, and I kind of weirdly invested in Cutter's story a bit Cuddy. more. Cutty's story a bit more, thank you. I think is it, is it something Wise? Dennis Wise, I think is his full name. Anyway, Dennis Wise. Cuddy. Yeah, Dennis Wise, yeah. He, his storyline was at least interesting from the aspect of someone who is trying to reform himself. He's come out of jail. He's been offered work mm. through Avon. He tries to break good at first. Then he goes back to his old ways and that doesn't work out either. So, he realigns himself and says, you know what? I'm just going to do the honest work and then gets high aspirations for AKB. I, I found that story of sort of redemption or trying to recreate himself quite good, even though it had zero impact on anything that was going on. Yeah, that story was fine. Um, I, yeah, I liked it, but I think it had so little to do with anything else Mm -hmm. that I, yeah, I was waiting for the moment when it was going to be a part of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And while I agree that's probably coming next season, I certainly felt while the Carcetti stuff was on the periphery yeah. that it was more tied into what was actually happening, particularly in the like the police departments and that kind of thing. I mean, his role is, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many, there's so many scenes with just him talking with his campaign manager about how to play this right. But but the action isn't being taken yet even. it's It can take multiple episodes mm. until that he decides to yeah. do a thing. But, but I like that because it... it gave me an added sense of tension because while he's talking through all these ways that he can kind of navigate what's happening in the police department and with the mayor that you, you know, he explains all of his choices and then we 
go back to Bunny and his crew and what they're trying to do. And it felt like the pressure was on because these people were figuring things out, things were changing, and that they could all be fucked by this guy's choices. But I guess that's where... At least, well, the thing with Cuddy is I felt the pressure, the stakes on him, right? Because right, there's okay. always that temptation that he can go back to working for the Barksdale crew and go back to that bad lifestyle. The risk is going back to jail or something like that with yeah. him, right? Whereas uh, Carcetti's doesn't has low risk for me. He, there's no stakes to his story except whether or not he goes from being a councilman to yeah. um, no, I, I a president of the councilman. Yeah, or- I agree that they're, like the stakes aren't there for him, but I... His I love his, yeah, his actions, how they affect and everyone So, they're else. opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I guess on a human level, yeah. Cuddy's storyline, I cared yeah. about him and what was happening to him yeah. I think I just, more than Kajitis. I never felt like the option to go back to the game to join the Barksdale crew was ever an option for him. Because after, really? Yeah, because after he tried to work for Avon again yeah. and he was like so shocked and shaken by that situation that like he clearly said that he couldn't do it. Like the game just wasn't in him anymore. So I never really felt that he would ever go back to that. I thought the show did a really good job with the early stuff with, with Cuddy of showing the temptation of going back. You know, he's at that party and that's a, that's a world where he's been in jail for what, 14 years yeah, or something, wherever it was. But I think then we come to a re- resolution with that. But then he keeps seeing these barriers and it's it always feels like at some stage he could just get broken by the barriers in his way, whether it's trying to get the gym up and running and then Which there's that very sequence. Easily. To get up and running. Yeah. Well, it didn't. He went and tried to get the permits and he was just like, I fucking don't know how to do this. And finally, someone stood up and did it and he, it Within showed him how episode, to play that yeah. game. Sure. But they, but like that was one barrier of many. Then it was trying to get the kids to come in at all. Then it was trying to get the kids to stay and do mm. and do stuff there. And then it was trying to get money to keep the kids safe when he's got them. And yeah. then finally, when the, um, the Amsterdam thing is disbanded, mm. They stopped coming in as well, and he's got yeah. to go and chase them. And so it's just these. Keep, I, these yeah, you just I, wondered how long until the system beat him down. Until and I think there's a really story. I didn't there get about- a sense that the system was beating him down though, because every time he found a barrier, he broke through it absolutely with like not a lot of people coming back at him to stop every him. Every time he did, though, he had to be. It had to. It came from support from someone else. Yeah, right? totally. Every single time, it was he was unsure what to do next. Mm-hmm. And be- knowing that he had once been like doing the straight and narrow and turned back to it, mm. I'm not saying. And like, and then there was the whole thing. He's got the um, what was the name of the guy? Um, the drug dealer who he had the package fruit, fruit right? Mm. And it's like there was that ongoing thread of what is, is there's that's an unresolved that the emotion or the unfairness or something that he could gets so frustrated with the game that he knows while he didn't feel like he had them in at the time, he could he has done that before. He might turn back to that because it's simpler. I just, it's just never easier. got that sense at all after that moment of resolution. Like, it's not in me anymore. And leaving, yeah, really, truly did not feel any of that at all. Okay. I felt like he, you know, he got the gym. He got the kids in. They were really enjoying it. The only moment was at the very end when – you know, the usual game is up and running again and the kids are back on the street. Mm -hmm. Like that was the only moment for me where he's like, oh shit, like things that now have actually changed and how am I going to continue to grow like the business and help 
the community. Yeah. But obviously that was just like a moment and then the season's ended. But yeah, no, I just didn't feel that tension or worry throughout the season for him at all. Sure. But uh, what, okay. Yeah. I guess we just have different interpretation yeah. there. I felt his stakes. I felt mm. that he I was- I mean, I wish I had, but yeah. I just I just didn't. And Cacetti, I just didn't feel stakes. I felt no. the influence that he, he has because of his role, but yeah. not because of- but it, it's, it bed so little on what was going to happen to him. In worst case scenario, he stays a counsellor. Oh, no, I totally agree with that. I'm yeah. just saying I enjoyed his role. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but, yeah, they're the two elements that I look at and go, yes, they're setting up for more for next season. Mm-hmm. And while they're interesting, they they just didn't – there's so much other stuff going on where people were in the middle of it and mm-hmm. having an influence, and those mm-hmm. are the things that affect me way more. One maybe one of the reasons that I really enjoyed what they were doing with Cacetti is also because I – Loved Bunny, and I will always call him Bunny. Also, the Bunny stuff's great. And because what Carcetti was doing could very easily fuck him over, oh, yeah. I would like I was worried about Bunny, and so like that sense of tension sure. between those two moving parts was like palpable for me. But like, if if we're looking at the Bunny angle, mm. not that I want to go on this because I totally un- respect your opinion on this, but the 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 Bunny angle, if it was just the pressure from the council. That was always there, whether it was from the mayor or from mm. everybody. Whether we only saw Carcetti in those council chamber meetings where mm. his where uh, Rawls and the other guy were involved, yeah. that I feel like that tension on on Bunny would have been there anyway. The stakes were always yeah, true. this is only going to work until someone yeah. finds out, yeah, <laughs> and no, then I, I'm fucked. I agree with that, but I think I liked going a little deeper into the motivation of the person sure. that is doing that and understanding that they're not purposely trying to fuck those people over necessarily, but that it is actually coming. Like, it's such a complicated system yeah. with so many yeah, moving parts that I just I like to see that part. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's talk about our um, major crimes unit then mm-hmm. and their overall story. We can always go character by character here. But wait, there is so... M- I'm just looking at my notes. There are so many different characters and so much to go through this <laughs> season. It's really dense. Yeah. Um, McNulty, your favourite. You love McNulty. Yeah. Mm. What did you think of him this season? They were I really feel like they were trying to finally give him some growth and redemption. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Did you feel um, any of that? Agree with any of that or Up until I think it might have even been like the second last episode. That was real late. Um and I was like thinking about my rating, my score and I was like, all right, well why does it lose half a star and obviously mm. the um brother Muzon stuff. Um and I wrote, uh, yeah, no, I still hate McNulty, but maybe they're taking him somewhere. And then the final episode happened. Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was in the final episode where he kind of realizes that the work that he's doing is just is exacerbating any flaw that he has and is just indulging his worst behavior yep. and that he just needs to leave. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I love when I thought it was really lovely when he went to see, what's her name? Beatty? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was great. I love the bit earlier when he thought he saw her in the yeah. Oh, car. and he like chased it in the car with Kima. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that bit. Yeah, me too. And there's actually a bit earlier in the season where he's at the fridge and there's a photo of her. Like there's a photo yeah. of like all of the crew and stuff, and he just kind of like no one acknowledges it, but yeah. he's just looking at the photo of her, which I really liked. So that was good. I'm glad they did that. Um, I'm hoping now that he's not part of the um, major crimes unit. I hope, like, you know, we still see him from time sure. to time. And he's obviously a great uh, police officer. Um, so, they'll probably need his help from time to time. But, I, yeah, I, I'd be fine with him just being on the sidelines a little bit. And so, he, it looks like he's become 
the whatever he's like unit, a beat cop now. The beat cop driving the van or whatever it was. Um, the guy that, that used that, to be yeah, that's right. the other guy from the original the crew. homicide group crew. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. It's it's a it's a pretty cool arc for McNulty, though it does seem. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. The the result happens quickly. The realization, the resolution happens quickly for him. Where suddenly he's like he's with Bunk and they're both getting drunk, but he's not. He yeah. talks about being tired. He's but there was a lot that built into it. There was him trying to have the relationship with. Uh, campaign manager. The campaign manager lady, which is a weird... That was the one where it's like, boy, this is a small... Bolton was a small place, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. But like... It made me go, oh, that's why McNulty only fucks women because he is terrible at dating. <laughs> the... Yeah. Well, I mean, it was that. There was him just feeling shit about himself yeah. from that interaction. There was... Uh, the him obviously looking at Beatty and maybe seeing something there that he's... he's Because he almost had a moment with her... In season two, yeah, he had he had a and really honourable moment. Let, he, he walked yeah. away from that, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting. And then my one of my favourite bits is just the ongoing stuff between Lester and McNulty, actually. And mm. then there's this sort of underlying tension where Lester really sees and understands McNulty, and they they both have a lot of respect for each other from yeah. a cop perspective. But Lester also sees what McNulty is doing to himself and yeah. to others. And I think like that helps that you know Lester is a little older and you know mm-hmm. we know that Lester had like tried to kind of go around the system before and he had, had dealt with the consequences of that for years being in a shitty department not really doing any real police work and he's been brought back by you know Daniels and he yeah. understands the importance the importance of the team and having loyalty yeah. to your leader, like that's really important to him. Was, and it's and he can see that it's not to McNulty, and he knows that he's gonna like shoot himself in the foot because of it. And McNulty stuff. Well, there was like the way the show did. There was one bit where he got really drunk. I think it was after Daniels admitted, told McNulty they'd been sleeping with Rhonda, mm. and he stays around, and then he's just sloppy drunk, totally fucked. Yeah. And the way they shot that, I was like, this is really cool. This is not in any way funny or amusing. This is just pathetic and yeah. gross and sad. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not trying to be anything else anymore. Yeah. He's not charming. He's not anything in that scene. And then there was even like little bits where he, him and Kima fuck over Daniels by getting the judge to come in and sort of push them in the direction to go back towards the Barksdale crew. And then there was that great scene towards the end as well where Daniel says something about, you know, you think anyone who stands in your way is a piece of shit or oh, whatever it was. I love that line, yeah. And it's actually really well edited, that scene. I noticed as well that it, originally there wasn't that big gap between yeah, what Daniel Yeah, I because he's drinking the coffee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> actually a cue that... It, but the edit was right to yeah. leave a gap, let everyone react, and then have McNulty go, yeah, fair point. Mm-hmm. And like some self-fucking-reflection and acknowledgement was... Yeah. It was good to see McNulty be a bit human. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was certainly glad with how they ended it. Cool. What about Kima's stuff this season? Ooh, here we go. So many of my notes are like, fuck you, Kima, you're a piece of shit. How 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 things have changed, huh? Oh my god. She is She was the shining light in season one. She was. She was like, oh she's like, oh she's my one. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I thought she was such a good police officer. Complicated but good. Yep. Um and McNulty was the piece of shit. Yeah. And she hey, has Sounds a good show, right? Yeah. She has indulged behavior just like McNulty has because I guess the job allows for it, gives you an excuse to, you know, be as hedonistic as possible. Apparently. 
And she does the worst things that really you could do to anyone that you love. Mm. The worst fucking things. When she like, when she's fucking that one, one of the many women I'm assuming she's fucking mm. and her wife is calling her yeah. and she like looks at the phone and then turns to the woman and smiles and laughs. I'm like, that is disgusting. Yeah. That is just, I was so angry and still am as you can tell, but yeah. oh, they've made me hate her. There They've was, made me hate her. There was a line, I think it was between Kima and McNulty. And it might have been the scene. I'm, there was a scene that I really liked the way they set this up where it, they're at the train yard and McNulty's drinking and there's someone in the bushes. And you assume it's Bunk because it's normally Bunk in that yeah, scenario. And then Kima walks squat. out. Yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting that they set that up and sort of point you already in the direction where this is going to go. Yeah. I think in that scene- She even says like, oh God, am I turning into a piece of shit like you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was her. Maybe it was a different scene, but whoever it was asked McNulty, how did you do it? How did you... It's Kima asks. Is Kima asks. Mm-hmm. How did you... Do that to someone that you love. And he just tells her the mechanics of it, like yeah. the whole thing about the partners. But she's like, that's not what I meant. And he never answers. And she apparently... I don't think good people who do that stuff have the answer. No. I don't think they're thinking about it in terms of consequences to other people. Yeah. So they genuinely don't know. Yeah. Kima's really just checked out the relationship, isn't she? Just mm-hmm. in every way. Yeah. The, I think the thing when she's like... She has, she, they've gone through a bit of trouble and she moves out and then she eventually moves home. And this yeah. is when they're in the hotel room um, when she's chatting to McNulty and she's just like, I don't even know if I want to be back. And I think that's her problem is that she doesn't really know where else to go. Yeah. So she's just there, but she doesn't want to be there. Do you think she's, do you, someone like that gets to a point, this isn't in the show at all, but I'm just wondering, gets to a point where they're just waiting to be caught anyway. Like that's what would happen with McNulty. Totally. Because he's just being caught out and, yeah. you know, obviously he wants to be with his family and stuff and he even wants to get back with his wife. But, I mean, he was obviously not invested in that re- that relationship anymore when he was doing that. He wasn't faithful. He was yeah, just waiting I, to get caught. It's self-loathing as much as anything else. Absolutely. I yeah. think there's, there's boredom, there's self-loathing. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's an inability to deal with, taking the moment to receive someone's disappointment in you. Mm -hmm. You'd rather just be caught and then leave than have a conversation and be like, look, I've done some terrible things. Totally. Yeah. Or even just admit that you're done with the relationship and you want out. Be brave. Be brave about those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's just easier to just accept that you're a piece of shit, get caught doing it and move move away. Continue to feel sorry for yourself. You don't have to do the emotional... You don't have to do any of the emotional work at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. What about Daniels and Rhonda and what they're doing this season? Oh, we saw a whole lot of ass. I, I wrote that was one of my notes. I'm pretty sure Damascus is happy with this stuff. <laughs> Rhonda and Damascus have the same taste in men. Daniels be ripped. <laughs> oh, my lordy. I just Beautiful wish, body. I wish, Holy shit. I, I know it's like early 2000s. Maybe that was the fashion at the time. I wish people would not wear such baggy fucking shirts. Could you, uh, maybe I've yeah. been watching too much Queer Eye. But wear something <laughs> that actually fits you. He wears the grossest, baggiest shirts all the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's so annoying. The, the, a nice fitted suit was not really a thing at the time. No, apparently not. Which sucks. Um, <laughs> now I walk around the CBD of Melbourne and just see like businessmen's asses and yeah. they look great in 2018. <laughs> and obviously, that's not really my thing, but they look good. Um, you can yeah. appreciate good yeah, work absolutely. when it's there. Absolutely. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, but no, the, the fashion is god awful. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes, no, we saw a lot of them boning. I like them. I think I think it, it's fine. I think they have mutual respect and I dig it. They're both professionals. They're both adults. Mm-hmm. They're both... Uh, yeah. I love like the honesty of that relationship in which obviously Daniels is in a weird 
situation with his wife, soon to be ex-wife. Yeah. Um, they're honest about it. Was, yeah, he's not trying to hide anything. No, not at all. And she understands the situation and yeah. is respectful of that. I just like it. They treat it like adults. Yeah. There's very little drama, weirdly enough, in mm-hmm. that. It just kind of is happening. And that's not only criticism of that storyline. It's like, I don't really know what I'm achieving here. It's just these two have apparently grown together and yeah. they are now hanging out. It's a nice moment when they get to be able to have a date yeah. together. But it never really felt like the tension was building there. No, no. And I didn't necessarily want it to. I just kind of liked, uh, yeah, like you said earlier, a bit of texturing. Yeah, nice. sure. All right. What about Prez? Who the fuck is Prez? Uh, what's his name? The <laughs> it's Prez, isn't it? I don't know. The 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 guy who shot a cop in this. <gasps> oh! <laughs> I was so upset. Yeah. I yeah I I was. It's always shocking to me. From the, the beginning of season one, when mm-hmm. we like obviously did not like this guy, he's mm-hmm. a bad dude. How he's an, he's at the very least an idiot, and, a complete yeah, moron. Totally. And- How they managed to get me so invested in this guy mm. that when he makes this mistake, a terrible, awful mistake, mm-hmm. I was devastated because I was like, "Well, he's ruined his life. Yeah, he has ruined his life." I mean, he killed someone too. He ruined their life as well. Of course, and I'm not saying he shouldn't feel bad, but yeah. I felt bad for the guy because Absolutely. you know it's a sh- he is. There was no like malintent there. He was trying to be a cop, even though, like he said, perhaps he's just not police, which I think is probably valid. Mm. Um, and I was heartbroken for Lester as well because that was his teammate. That was yeah. someone who he had developed a real friendship with. I was devastated. The scene with uh, Lester and Prez on the um, on the park bench or the wherever it was, they were sitting down having a discussion yeah. afterwards. And you're the one who says, you know, maybe I was meant to be police. That's the that bit that's sad. There is you had seen him find his role inside yeah. the police, right? And it, what did listen? It wasn't with a gun. It wasn't on no. the beat. And it wasn't mm-hmm. ever. Well, occasionally I think he was involved with some stuff, but he was kept away from. It. He was kept, mm-hmm. you know, with with Lester in um, in the the office basically. And it was so nice to see him be excited by this, be good at this. Mm-hmm. He had grown so much and then to take that away from him in an instant, something that was, wasn't even part of their ongoing investigation. No. It was just they were out getting freaking lunch or dinner or whatever it was and they responded to a call and it all went wrong. It was so it was, sad. It was so sad because in season one we see, I think it's they go off, they're going off to do a raid mm-hmm. and Daniels is like, all right, you can come with us. Yep. And he says, no. Yeah. Because he knows that that's not where he should be. Yeah. And it's a shame that in um, yeah one choice to, you know, be a police like he used to be led to something really tragic happening. Yeah. It was so sad when he's sitting in the office and Daniels comes in and then mm. Daniels walks out and like watch him because he's on suicide watch. Absolutely. I was really worried he was going to kill himself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was actually one of my. I I really like love that story. It comes out of nowhere. It's complete non sequitur to everything else that's going on. Mm. It's just a really great character moment, and yeah, yeah it makes you the- reflect on where we've been and mm-hmm. how far we've come. And yeah, as far as like emotional character moments though, that's about as good as it got for me. I was like, holy fuck! Yeah, it got me good. Yeah, it got me good. Um, okay, let's just for the sake of it, not that he's in it that much, but it felt like he was important early on. Bunk, he kind mm. of is there. He's trying to find this. Lost a weapon and then he... I just... I bring it up only because I noticed sort of towards the end, I was like, oh, 
Bunk, bunk, Bunk's gone. Where'd Bunk go? He, he just sort of disappeared. Just around to cut off people's ties. I think that's <laughs> all he does this season. Look, I was pretty bored of the whole looking for a gun thing. Oh, yeah, it was I nothing. was like, oh, right, spinning wheels, got it. But, yeah, I mean, I love Bunk. I'm always happy to see him on screen, mm-hmm. but he wasn't really a player this season. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. One of the other things I want to talk about just a little bit with the MCU stuff is there were certain patterns that had started to come up after season two and I started to feel them again this season and then it backed away from them and I was really happy. But um, one of the things that we discussed was that the higher-ups at the last minute tend to fuck over their investigations. Yeah. And this one, it seemed like the gods had fucked over their, their investigations <laughs> when Stringer Bell was killed. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, that's so frustrating for McNulty particularly, mm-hmm. but for our for our uh, yeah. police crew. And then it was nice to see them get some satisfaction, like you said. The other thing Yeah, I think they balanced that really well, so we don't didn't feel cheated. No, that was that was mm. good and it was nice to switch that up uh, mm-hmm. and to play on expectations because if it happened again I would have been a bit like fucking really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But also it did seem to take half a season while the crew were together early, it did seem to take half a season until they were actually on the right case. Half the time I was like, Wait, what are you guys doing? Like yeah. I was more way more invested in pretty much everything else that was happening in the show um, that when we went back to the team that we know where a lot of the like cool stuff that we were really interested and invested in in previous seasons, I was watching them. I was like, you guys don't seem relevant to your own story. What is happening? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that was, that was, it felt strange. That's when it was spinning wheels to me. I was like, they're there, but they're not doing anything. I think, you know, I, I I agree with that, but I think I was so invested in the other stuff that was happening that it didn't bother me so much. Well, let's start talking about the other stuff then. Um, let's talk about Ham- well. Let's just go to Hamsterdam. That whole <laughs> thing. Now, you want to talk about that, obviously, because Bunny is the the main player I here. Love you. And so this is interesting. This is sort of what was his name? The last one, Frank Sabotka, or whatever his name was. This is like our equivalent of him. Mm. The, instead of the blue yeah, color crime stuff, we're investigating this guy who's just trying to make a difference. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, he's under a lot of pressure to yeah. get his to get crime rates and numbers down and he comes up with a harebrained scheme and he gives it a go. Yeah, I love that, you know, we've got this older major. He's, you know, going to get his pension. Mm -hmm. He's He's got six months to go. He's got six months to go until his pension comes through. He's, you know, a job at John Hopkins is certainly a possibility for him. So he's not too worried about that. So he feels like he's continually put in a corner With a strategy from the higher-ups that he knows doesn't work. Uh, well, he also knows that he's going to get knocked down, I think. He, he knows that his role as it is, even if he were to stay on long-term because the numbers are so bad, just yeah. things are so bad in the city, that he can't sustain that position. So, he's, he's, he's ready to retire anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah he's he's yeah. certainly ready to retire. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he's backed in a corner and he's, like, had enough. He's like, well, you know what? I'm on my way out. Why don't we try something different? Mm-hmm. And I... Loved like so much of the of his dialogue. I loved mm-hmm. like I love the paper bag speech. I love the speech he gives to Carver. I I think, and I also think that actor is so charismatic and yeah. warm that I just like took to him straight away. And I thought just this the idea that he was bringing forth of these safe zones mm-hmm. was really exciting to me. And I remember like. I think it was Oscar night. Yeah, Oscar yeah. I was yeah. just like, oh, this season's like, I'm actually quite excited. And it was that storyline yeah. that did it for me. And it is the centerpiece. Because you know of- it's not sustainable. And yeah. you like, how like how is this going to crumble? Yeah. And isn't it going to be so sad when it does? Because while the safe zones are icky and dangerous, um, 
it's helping a lot of people who aren't directly involved in the drug trade. This is the big question mm. and the one that I hope we can spend the most time on tonight is just this idea, this Hamsterdam idea, and what do you make of it? Do you do you stand by it as like a good idea? Do you think it's a, a good idea in principle that's flawed and just needs to be mm. tweaked a bit? Is yeah. it something you could get behind in an alternative form or was it was it bad overall? I mean, I'm... No, I don't think it's bad overall. I think without having like legislation behind you, doing this is kind of like the only way to do it. But as for like the legalization of drugs, Mm -hmm. I think that would work far more than the war on drugs has at this point. It's been going for 30 years. Nothing's changed. If not, it's gotten worse and more violent um, because the people within it are so pushed to the margins of society that they no longer really need to interact in a civil way at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you legalize it, I think that would make positive changes. So I was excited to explore that. But I also like they kept it messy by making it, you know, illegal what this guy's doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really liked it. What about you? No, I 100% agree. You're right. The speech he has with Carver is the is the lynch is the thing for me above all of it that yep. that sort of cements what his philosophy is mm-hmm. and why this is an idea that's worth exploring practically. And it's great that it's coming from an older guy, not only just because he's, you know, on his way out and so he has less risk, but also because he was around his during a time when it wasn't like that at yeah. all. Whereas like people like Carver and Herc, that's all they've ever known is that they have been conditioned to treat the streets like it's a war zone. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. And the idea that the war on drugs has made their job as police as it's the the difference between being a soldier and and policing, yeah. I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the going to the community talks and seeing the reaction that they could just talk to the police now because they're just there to. And you see that bit with McNulty at the end as well, where he's just sort of walking the streets yeah. and like. Having a smile with the people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the idea of protecting and knowing and being a part of the community yeah. and serving the community rather than just fighting this impossible force of drugs and money the mm-hmm. way that's because it's illegal, but because it's also addictive and. People want it. Yeah. You are just fighting this impossible... You're trying to fight gravity. It's just so hard to do. Yeah, Um, you can't arrest people into making healthier choices. Basically, That's that's not how it works. And so, yeah, of course, the way it's done is unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Although I did get excited when the mayor was like thinking about, how can we make this work? I know. I was (laughs) was like, like, ooh, maybe (laughs) That'd be interesting to just keep running with this idea. But no, as soon as the media get involved... And I wondered if that was an interesting critique on the media as well. As soon as they come in, it all goes to shit. Yeah. And the moment it happens, the mayor's like, what the fuck was I thinking? Mm. Sure. Yeah. But that's, again, it's a a micro look at this. It didn't explore the positive sides because, of course, that's not sexy or flashy or interesting to the media, they're going to show, oh, look at this yeah. horrendous- They go with the headlines, not the nuanced story. Yeah. yeah. But the long-term yeah, thinking. Definitely the idea of legalizing drugs works in so many different ways. In all the way, especially my favorite bits is when they started getting the community services or like the health services into start Such helping, a clever thing to do. Right? Like when that deacon comes in, he's like, well, you need to- Well, yes, this is kind of a free-for-all. You, there does need to be some sort of system in place to make sure people just aren't- dying in the middle of the streets and it's not completely like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sure, but also just that it allows them opportunities to help people yeah, by absolutely. giving needles or doing mm-hmm. HIV tests or condoms or whatever it would be. And then, they, as I said, like by just having these people in the same place, 
we have made it, we have been able to start getting people help, mm-hmm. reforming from their Amazing. drug habits yeah. just because we're able to get to them. And that's that's before you even start putting in, like if you legalize drugs, right, it's the same with cigarettes. Cigarettes are heavily taxed. Mm-hmm. They're legal, but they're heavily taxed, which means that programs can be built with that money to try and prevent people from smoking or help them mm-hmm. quit smoking. The same thing can happen if you make it legal that there are checks and balances in mm-hmm. place to make sure they're as safe as they can be and then use the money from taxing the shit out of it to to actually help people off these habits as well. Yeah, abs- fucking, absolutely. It, it, like, not only like taxing things like that, but also, I mean, the more we understand about cigarettes, the less and less people are taking up smoking. Totally. And so if we, you know, legalize drugs and we have a huge amount of like scientific research, medical research into that so we understand the full effects of them. And if they are dangerous, people are going to be like, oh, probably not going to do it. Ecstasy might give me a heart attack, probably won't do it. You know what I mean? Like people can make informed choices about drugs. The money is really important, all that stuff. Though. When I say yeah. tax, I really do mean that that's important though because yeah, once yeah, you legalize totally. something, yeah, there's, there's, it's a twofold thing. There's that, yeah, you put in safety measures to make sure mm-hmm. that's reading, you know, you can't be cut with shit basically. Yeah. And then- because it can be taxed because it's legal, the money is what goes towards research. The money is go- what goes towards awareness. The money mm-hmm. from that goes towards, you know, helping programs to help these other people. Yeah. It, it just makes so much sense. And certainly, as you said, the current system of just fighting this war on drugs is not working. Impossible. And it just means that more people are getting incarcerated and that's uh, putting such a burden on the systems. Particularly and in America. Particularly in the States. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really cool storyline and really mm-hmm. interesting way to explore it. Yep. And that's, um, that's for me, is the highlight of the entire season. Yeah, this me season. too. I love It's that. just it, taking this idea and showing absolutely the negatives of it, mm-hmm. how gross that's going to be. But also, well, wait a second. If we approach this properly, we should explore this idea more anyway. Um, what about just Herc and Carver in all of this as well? How do you feel that? You sounds like you're pretty down on Herc. I think he's a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, no. I think Carver's a bit of a dickhead too. When Carver's oh, like, Carver's definitely a dickhead. Yeah, yeah. I but I think both of them. Carver didn't hurt my sweet little bunny. So <laughs> sure, you know, he, that's he very did, important. He to did me. move a body though. Oh, when and, I saw, I was like, you can't move a body. Oh yeah, my god, that was crazy. I was like, when Herc walked away from that, I was like, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on yeah, that like, one, man. Too Just, far, too far. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I. I think I didn't mind Herc so much. I mean, he was complaining a lot, but I think I was like, just sit back and because obviously it's not sustainable. Anyone with a semblance of intelligence would understand that. Just mm. sit back and let it fall down by itself. You know what I mean? Like, don't fuck over your superior officer, the guy who has shown you loyalty. Like that for me was just like piss off, Herc. I it's it's sad that yeah, Herc's the one who. T- tips off the reporters. Mm. But I can't blame him. I, I can't blame him when he sees... He, he I mean, he's in the middle of the worst part of it right now. He's not out on the corners that are now clean and stuff. He's mm. just seeing the crap that's going on yeah. in Amsterdam and, go, and, like, and then what they're having to do as police to enforce this, mm-hmm. to allow this thing that's illegal to be legal. Yeah. Um, and he just feels that his role, as he's been taught, is... Yeah, I think being undermined. That's why I was like, I certainly think Bunny should have not just given that speech to oh. Carver, but to the rest of the force, being like, because I mean, you're right. Yeah, it's true when you say like they have been 
taught to be soldiers. Yeah. And so asking them not to behave in that way is going to ruffle a lot of feathers and mm. that's what it did. Because, you know, I'm sure a lot of those guys got into it not because they wanted to be Bunny's version of what policeman is. It's because they knew that they could go and, like, crack some skulls and yeah. arrest dudes and be powerful with guns and stuff and that's why they're there. So those guys are never going to be happy in that situation where they can see people that they should be allowed to assert power over and they can't. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. That, I mean, ultimately, the, the biggest flaw with all of this is just that it's being done secretly yeah. and illegally. <laughs> and if that wasn't... If it was maybe done with a bit more precision yeah. and, uh, and time yeah. and... Yeah, it wouldn't be such a problem. But I love that the point is that it, that could never happen. That that would never it, go like, that way. Ultimately, never, that's... It's, you know, you find out it's political suicide to do that. So, no one would ever be willing to be like, oh, maybe let's experiment with the war on drugs. Because then in a city like Baltimore, you're then seen as being soft on crime, which yeah. you cannot be. Well, this was what was funny about um, the stuff with Bunny coming to the end of his term, right? He sees six months ahead. I love that we're calling out. him Bunny. It's really Sure, good. whatever. I'll yeah. just call him Bunny for your sake. He... His whole the, the him having an end to his term is actually a point that I think is important. It's something about career politicians, the idea that you can be in a position like that indefinitely, yeah, means that you want are less likely to take take risks like the mayor is because he just wants to keep that position, basically keep the status quo, yep. you know, report on the things that are going well and try and cover up the things that aren't, so that they can just keep being elected every four years, and. That's the idea. It's self-imposed, but Bunny doesn't see that he's got much time left. Mm-hmm. So, he's like, fuck it. I'm going to try something that maybe will actually make a difference for once. Yeah. Because he knows he doesn't have any, any time left. And if that was imposed on our politicians, if maybe you could only serve out, like, like they do with the president, for instance, but if you could only serve out your entire political career or certain positions no longer than one or two election cycles, then maybe we'd actually see real change being happening. If you had a little bit of time, you would actually want to have a legacy so you would do something mm-hmm. rather than just I need to stay and keep getting the same salary I'm getting by not by not setting the status quo. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I completely agree with that. So I thought that was a really interesting element to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, we've talked about Carcetti a fair bit. I don't think there's anything else there we really want to talk about. No, I don't think so. Let's talk finally then, uh, before we get to yours, I'm sure you've got some points you want to get to as well, but Bell, Stringer Bell and Avon and Barksdale Crew and all that sort of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. This, I'm so, as much as season two was, was not as good as season one, we were in a great place to go this season with yeah. Belle and Avon. Set up well. Set up well real well. Really. And I loved, I love Stringer Bell so much. I'm mm. really sad he dies at the end of this season. Yeah. I would just like to keep him around. I would send him to jail or whatever. Yeah. Um, it seems like an easy out for him, unfortunately. I love that he gets fucked over trying to play the white collar game. Yeah. <laughs> when when yeah. the sleazy lawyer, I can't remember his name, is like, what the fuck? You should have brought this to me earlier. Mm. You got played. Like, yeah. But I spoke to that guy. He's like, where did you speak to him? Do you speak to him in his office? <laughs> no, I was in the lobby. Fuck. I was like, oh, no. It was pretty Bell. good to see, like, Stringer Bell's jaw drop. Yeah. At the fact that, yeah, he had been totally played. Yeah. That was a pretty good moment. I but- quite... Like that, but I also felt bad for him. Like this poor guy, he's just trying to make himself legitimate. Just even though after he's, he's been yeah. a drug lord for how <laughs> yeah, exactly. long? Yeah, give him a chance. Yeah, yeah no. Um, I. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I love the stuff with Stringer Bell and Avon because I think I mean our predictions after season two was like, okay, it's going to be like 
a conflict between those totally. two. So I was like getting really pumped for it. And then when Stringer Bell dies, I was like, fuck that shit. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was a cool ending for him, even though I wish Brother Muzon wasn't there. I wish uh, it was uh, just Omar. Yeah, just Omar or, I mean, yes, it, that's, that is true that Avon is the one that sort of points them in that direction. Mm. So that's true that it was Avon in the end. That was, I mean, they're both responsible for each other's destruction, essentially, yeah, which is great. Mutual mutually assured. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but I, I kind of wish it was a bit more personal. I, yeah, brother, brother Muzon being in there. Kind of muddies that a little bit. It does. It, it's yeah, no, like this outside thing that. that I it kind of gets in the way. At least, at least Omar has been there since the beginning. Yep. You know, he's and always he's had felt the like same that one thing element. of like, you guys fucked over my dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, because Stringer was so business minded and he really wanted to see himself as a businessman, I found this amazing article, um, which is The Wire as a Case Study of Failed Corporate Strategy, okay. which I love, which is about the downfall of Avon and Stringer. Yep. I'm just going to read that out to you. Uh, quote, Jim Collins outlines the many stages of an organization's downfall in How the Mighty Fall. You can see the Barksdale organization go through each of the stages. So one, the hubris of success. Stringer assuming that their superior product and muscle are the only things that count. Two, undisciplined pursuit of more. Stringer's attempt to pivot into real estate development Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on their core competencies. Like many an organization attempting to expand, he not only failed at understanding the dynamics of the new business he was entering, he let himself be distracted from his core business. Three, denial of risk and peril. Not taking Marlowe as a threat until it's too late. Tactical sloppiness resulting in Marlowe almost taking out Avon. Four, grasping for salvation. In a typical corporation, this is where the CEO tries to bring in expensive consultants, fire a bunch of people and try and execute a turnaround. Here on The Wire, this would be Stringer trying to take out Senator Clay Davis, not understanding the real threats to the organization. And five, capitulation to irrelevance or death. All the events of the season finale for season three, whereby you see Marlowe firmly in control. I was like... Yeah, poor. He should have been paying more attention in business class, poor totally. Stringer. Because, yeah, he totally abandoned his core business yep. for the pursuit of something more. And so that core business was just so degraded that it fell apart. And at the end of this little article, it says, like many large organizations, the leaders were distracted by their power struggle at the top and followed two conflicting strategies at the same time. Yeah. Like where we see that divergence between. I, I don't think, I think both of them had, had it wrong though as well. Like oh, totally. Avon's, Avon's totally. coming in and trying to be a soldier again and make, yeah. it's like, we, okay, we're, we're past that. Surely we've mm-hmm. got a strategy that's working and then yeah. he's allowed to come back in, well, have his influence. Avon comes in thinking the game is like how it always, it always has was, been yeah. and is acting that way when he doesn't he doesn't even really know who Marlo is or what he's doing or what he's capable of. Yeah. That's the bit for me that I feel sympathy for, for Stringer is I felt like he did have that locked down. And then when Avon comes in and yeah. he's, you know, he's his brother, he's, you know, brother in very commas and he's like, he, of course, he's going to bring him back into the fold. Mm. But as soon as he does, I was really waiting for, like, I mean, when he does that, he calls up, uh, the West Precinct or whatever it is and he's going to get yeah. Avon re-arrested yep. and put, sent back to jail. That was his strategy to get rid of him. I was waiting for him to kill him, actually. It seemed to be his go-to move was just to murder people he didn't like. <laughs> Even well, though he says he doesn't want to do that, yeah. get someone else to do it. But I think Avon, because as 
um, Stringer was off doing his corporate stuff, Avon had moved in a whole bunch of his own people. So this that when thing, Stringer yeah. came back, he's like, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. So even if he did take out Avon, that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. that those around him are going to be loyal to him or even like really let him back in, you know? Have you heard about what happened to Donut Time? The uh, Do you know Donut Time, the shop? I just read about the $8 donuts. The the $8 donuts. Apparently, they're like, their donuts were $8 each. Yeah. Have you I, ever I, had I, one? I've they're amazing. Never, I don't really like donuts. Oh, okay. You should. They're really great. But the only donuts I like are like the Krispy Kreme original ones. No, you're, which is you're living, crazy, right? No, no, you need to. You need to. <laughs> I also don't like ice cream, so I don't know. There's something wrong with my brain. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know how to speak to you anymore. The <laughs> Sorry. Ste- Steph and I quite like these donut time donuts. Mm. So people who don't know, it's a franchise. I think it started in Brisbane originally, or right. in Australia anyway. It has expanded to the UK. These excessive donuts that people were obsessed with, like they do with cupcakes mm. and everything, especially in places like Melbourne. Everything gets yeah. shushinged up and sort everything's of like cool. everything's cool. Anyway. Yeah. We quite liked them. They'd have they had gluten-free and vegan donuts and oh, blah, blah. that's nice. And really great themed ones. And so, we, you know, go there once a month maybe and get a couple of donuts. Anyway, that business all of a sudden has been sold off and they're closing half their stores and half their mm. things because of all the things you've just said. <laughs> the guy's just like... And we were saying too, it's like, geez, there's a, there's a lot of donut time. Is it that popular? They were everywhere. They overexpanded too quickly. They went to the UK for fucking... Like, why? Oh. It was just all of a sudden they just expanded too quickly. And so, yeah. he's like... I, got, I went over my head. I got too ambitious. Someone was whispering easy. Got to, got to expand. Got to, you know, mm. capitalize on the market while you can. And then they completely overdid it. Overstretched themselves yeah. and they had to sell everything like off. Every like major hub in Melbourne, there was a donut time. Like every different neighborhood you went to, there was one. Do you remember when um, Pie Face was also in, yeah, in same Melbourne? Thing. Was two on every street. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And <laughs> the same thing happened to like them. people like pies. <laughs> no, yeah. I'd never ate a single pie from Me Pie either. Face. And I love pies. And I love pies too. <laughs> Way off topic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally agree. I loved... It felt like a great third act to their story yes. as well. And... It kind of just makes me it wish felt more. This period, in a way, like yeah, these totally. two, like brothers going at war. Yeah, definitely. I kind of wish the second. Se- I, that's why I wish the second season wasn't so far removed from the Barksdale mm. crew because it just a couple of things happen to get us to here. It it's great though where yep. we get to, and I'm I'm sad to see the end of Stringer Bell. I'm sad. I'm, we're probably not going to see Avon again. I feel like we're done with the Barksdale crew now. This is the. I think it's going to be Marlo now. It, Marlo. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, probably. I just feel like in general. A lot of this felt like it could have almost been a series finale in terms of where they get mm, yeah, um, McNulty to, where they get um, even Daniels to, yeah, to a Daniels degree. Like he's been promoted, been what promoted. he finally wanted. Yep. yep. Um, where and and then obviously what's happening with the Barksdale crew. It just feels sort of feels like the absolute closing of a chapter now, and mm. I really look forward to seeing what next season will look yeah. like because of that. How much is familiar and how much is new? I was so glad we got some satisfying endings Mm -hmm. because like like season one and two we you know like you said we were seeing a pattern and i was really worried that that was just going to continue on and this show was going to get so depressing over and over again i was like oh god no so while like it's not like a hollywood you know perfect ending at all by any stretch of the imagination but we do get those little moments of like Oh, that's nice for that character. Oh, that's nice for that character. And in like McNulty is the is the obvious one to go to here because mm. he's got that obsession with Stringer Bell. He wants this guy that he missed out on last time, and he still misses him. Yeah, just yeah, <laughs> as always happens. But he gets he gets the rest of the case essentially done, and more importantly, probably he learns that maybe he shouldn't be where he is. Yeah, and like that's 
even if they only get partial successes career-wise, that's a positive move for him personally, yeah. and that's important. Yeah, too. I loved when um, sorry, not Stringer, um, McNulty, and I think it's Bunk go to Stringer's apartment after he's dead, and they walk in, and it's this who was I chasing million dollar? Yeah, he's like, and I think that's yeah the point for McNulty is like. Shit, this thing could have never ended. Yeah. And I would have spent my whole life chasing this guy and totally destroyed myself. Did you feel surprised that he didn't that he didn't realize Stringer Bell was sort of living that well or that that, that was his lifestyle? Not to that extent. I think like because So okay. So the guy who plays the deacon who tells Bunny to like get some like health workers into the thing? Yeah, he is actually um, the guy in real life who Avon is based on. Seriously? Yeah, I'm trying to. Here it is. Um, so his name's Melvin Williams, and he was a drug lord in Baltimore in the 80s. Holy shit! And so yeah, it's a huge influence for Avon, and he was convicted of drug drug trafficking. Sorry, drug trafficking, and sentenced to 34 years, but only served 11. So Ed Burns, who works on the show, like he helped like bring this guy down and apparently this guy said like in an interview that he made like a couple of hundred million dollars during his time as a drug lord yeah. like he made so much money totally i didn't realize it was that much money oh, yeah yeah, I had, yeah like i knew it was in the millions yeah i didn't realize it was like you know a couple of hundred million dollars over a very short period of time yeah. i had no idea so like I didn't realize that. So, doing my research, I realized that. And then when McNulty goes into the apartment and says that, I was like, yeah, I didn't realize either, buddy. I had no <laughs> idea. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, Omar then. I think he's the last thing we really haven't discussed yet. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about his role this season? I, I, I kind of feel like Omar's a little bit wasted overall. I think. I mean, it felt a little disjointed. I didn't really in, feel yeah, connected to it. I mean, I'm always happy to see Omar on screen, of course, yeah. because the actor is incredible and the character is very fucking cool. How could you not like him? Yeah. Um, I liked... I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know his crew. So, I have a hard time really connecting when they're going through some shit. Um. But obviously, like, I'm affected by Omar being affected by that. But I, I would like to be a little bit more in his world, I think, than him just coming in to other people's worlds. Yeah, that's the thing, right? He tends to... I mean, we do we do get to see his network a little bit. Um, I like the blind guy. Yeah, the blind He's cool. guy like, he, like The scenes with him and the blind guy, I really like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just... Yeah, he just seems... Sometimes as just like a tool they use. Yes, that's the thing. As yeah. the wild card, that's the bit that's probably most disappointing to me mm. is I feel like he just gets sort of inserted when they need him to. So, obviously, he's involved with... But it, in mo- in a lot of ways, it kind of just feels like he was set up to... Kill Stringer. Uh, kill Stringer. And yeah. that was like... Mm-hmm. That was the ultimate resolution for yeah. him. Um, or the ultimate purpose for him. And and like seeing up with Brother Muzon, who is a character I dislike. Yeah. It's just like, ah, it's a shame. I enjoy watching those scenes definitely mm-hmm. with, with Omar... I just kind of wish there was more meat on those bones. Yep. Totally. I agree. Narratively. A couple of things I did want to say about Omar's storyline, though. Or there was one sequence early on or one bit of dialogue that I loved when he's in the car. Um, I think they're about to do one of their hits, basically. And he's being questioned. And he just says, because. And the woman behind him is like, because. And he says, indeed. And I'm just <laughs> like, I just love the way he says, indeed. Yeah. I love it every time. Yeah, he he really carries those heightened lines. I love it. He's whereas Muzan doesn't. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely not. Mm. Um, there's a bit where they're both walking together, and I'm like, I'm looking at Omar and going, like, yeah, you're real larger than life, but I 
something I, I, I appreciate and like you. Mm-hmm. And Brother Moves On just irritates me. Yeah, totally. Um, I also wanted to note that there's that that bit where they are trying to do one of their hits and then they put more security on there so it turns into a firefight. How many fucking shots were fired in that <laughs> firefight? It was ridiculous. I wanted to count them. It would have been in the hundreds, <laughs> I reckon. It was crazy. Yeah, a lot of bullets. A lot of bullets. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Okay, some side notes. I've got a couple. We'll try and get this through as quickly. I've um, got one very important one. You go then. You go on. What's your one? Rawls is gay. Is Rawls gay? Oh, He's in the gay bar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, like, I think I screamed at the television. I was like, oh, mic drop. Yeah. Oh, that's really go. my only point that I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's go cool. Um... Ray Cole he dies or it dies off screen in at the start of this year. Oh, and they have the funeral inside the bar yeah. and the body's on top of a pool table? Yes. That's fucked, right? It is right? fucked. Ugh. So, he was a character in the first two seasons, sort of. He's absolute mm. sideline character, just one of the guys in the homicide unit. He, The reason they've his character dies is because in real life, the actor oh. and executive producer died. So, his name is Robert F. Colesbury. Colesbury, um, so Ray Cole, Robert Colesbury, oh, isn't right. she? Uh, he has sudden death in real life due to heart surgery complications between oh. season one and two. I'm pretty sure, or season two and three. Sorry, I'm pretty sure. And it's um, it was funny because I was watching that, going, "This is a weird storyline," and they're not mm. showing the character's face. And I was like, "I bet you this actor really died." And I went and checked it up. Yeah. I was like, yeah, "That's <laughs> right. what it was." Um, do you think this was the origin of the term burner, as in burner phone? Was this show? I don't think so. I wonder. I just like, it was one of those things where I had to explain it a lot. I feel like Burner is now a known, you brought it up, talking yeah. about Burner phones and we talked about season one. It was before, it was in the era, bef- era before Burner phones and those sorts of things. Yeah. And yeah. Now- when like in the eighties, when those cops yeah. who wrote the show were on it, uh, were doing the thing. Yeah. No, I, I think it existed prior. Gotcha. To- yeah. Um, a little detail that annoyed me. There's a bit where M- McNulty's kids are playing Halo mm. and one of them says that the other's cheating. They were obviously playing co-op and they were shooting computer characters and that annoyed me that they would... Why would you complain about your brother cheating when you're on the same side, you idiot? Well, maybe he was doing the older brother thing and like sneaking up and shooting him in the back. <laughs> doesn't work like that in Halo. <laughs> Can't you shoot each other? I don't think so. Not, not in Halo. Not, oh. not in Halo 1. Li- listen. <laughs> it, was, it, was just a, it was just one of those things that I always right, annoy right. in video games. Right. Um, people give up personal information on others way too easily. Mm-hmm. There's I always assume everyone's a murderer who calls and wants information because I work sometimes as a receptionist. Right. And I'm just like, I don't know you. The college lady gives up a bunch of stuff on Stringer Bell when we <laughs> Nolte's there. And then um, whoever's on the phone telling Nolte where to find the campaign lady. Mm. Just like totally. Like, I know he's playing a bit of a thing, but it's like. I mean, that thing was crazy that yeah. she did that. Um, but I I mean, I kind of like the way that McNulty was like, look, this guy beats women. That that one made like, sense to me at least. The other one was just like, was oh, yeah, like, I'm meant to be picking her up. Where's that exactly? Yeah. Like, what's her current schedule? Where can I find her right this what's second? What's she wearing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah. Um, I loved the scene with McNulty and Angelo's mother. Uh, D's mother. Oh, yeah. When he's like, I wanted to find someone that cared about the kid. Yeah. Yeah. That scene was great. And I love the way that D'Angelo's death was used to drive these two apart and just to 
And then, like you said, it's pretty crazy that Stringer actually tells him. Because it was to me, this reminded me of a story point from Breaking Bad that I'm not going to say what it is. Yep. The spoilers of Breaking Bad. But, like, that was something that was left hanging for a long yep. time. It was a question of whether and it would be resolved so at all. I was so worried. I was so worried. And you're, yep. when that comes out, I'm like, holy shit, it's on. And then it's like they cooled their jets again. But it was always, like, simmering under the surface. Yep. I love that. Which I kind of liked. I did too. I thought it was Because I was really like, good. when he told him, I was like, oh, my God. They're just going to start, like, stabbing each other. But yeah. that's not what what happened? I, I really believe that Stringer Bell fucked up big time. He had total control of the business before Avon got mm. back in. He could have neutered his presence way early if he just asserted himself more. And just, I really feel like, I mean, I, it wouldn't yeah. have been good, but but Stringer lost. He had power and he just yeah. let it go. But I don't think he, I mean, he didn't want to rule by himself. He wanted Avon to come it's with true. him. And it was only until the Marlowe stuff started happening. It's like, oh, we're not on the same page at all. Did you yeah. like that last conversation with them on the balcony where they're talking about like when they were kids and they were stealing the badminton set and stuff? And I thought it was pretty cute, actually. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. It was a and great, they had great last chemistry. Scene. And they both fucked each other over already. Yeah. And it's- but yeah, like it's a really cute scene. They're talking about badminton and it's like generally seem to be laughing and they've got great chemistry. Really both those actors good. are fabulous. And yeah. then when they start talking about like, oh, what are you doing to where are you yeah. going to be? And then they both know. Yep. They And it's so well played. Yep. It's great. It's a great scene. Love that too. The Sunday truce, that kind of came out of nowhere, but I, oh, uh, yeah. I like the it implication of it. It yeah. literally is like an unspoken rule apparently yeah. and never spoken on the show from, before. From all time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that poor grandma. Yeah, I know. Aww. She gets pushed in. I love that they call um their Sunday hats crowns. Yeah. I really like that. I didn't know that. It's cool. Um, copycat is a great name for a copy shop. I love that. <gasps> it is. It's, well done, Stringerbell. I thought it was very good. Good brandy, <laughs> man. Um, did Rhonda just Sharon Stone the judge when they need what? to get... So, the bit where her... At, like, basic instincts. Yeah. There's a bit where they go in and they need... They're like, they've got this crazy idea because they're going to basically sell the phones pre-tapped straight yeah. to the straight <clears throat> to the crew. And they're talking and he's obviously... The judge is obviously really, really he's sort of fond of her. He's going to for her. Right. Yeah. But then there's, it's not shown directly, but it's like because of the oh, angle. She and she uncrosses yeah. and recrosses <laughs> her legs. And I was I like, did you notice. just fucking, wow. That's Check a, out this regime. Basically. Mm. He's like, what the hell after that? <laughs> I think he just wanted them out of there because he's going to show he had an erection. <laughs> the the fu- Another detail that I hated about Brother Muzon was the gun he chooses to use. Just like a little PP7 from it, Goldeneye. It's, pew pew. it's exactly what it is. It's a Walter PPK. It's oh, right. absolutely James Bond's gun. I'm like, oh, God, man. You're, yeah. path- you're d- pathetic. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, gross. Um, and my last little note was, gee, it's lucky lucky, not a single one of those shots missed and broke that huge glass window behind Stringer Bell. When, that, when <laughs> Avon, yeah. it's just this massive wall of glass. I thought it was an open window. It's it's closed window. In the next, Because uh. you see them the next episode. And I was just like, I remember the angles these guys are standing on. One of those windows should have broken. It's yeah, incredible that okay. that glass is standing. Oh, do you remember there there was glass shots. there? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I, I I'm assume, pretty sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I assume the shot would be Omar shoots him with a shotgun and then he does the classic like, woo, out the window, yeah. I was I was expecting him to jump out the window. I was like, maybe that's his next move. I mean, that's what I would do because you're going to die anyway. Yeah. Might as well try. Just try. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Any, any other notes? Uh, no. Oh, cool. All right. Favorite 
and least favorite episode. Uh, Damask, what's your least favorite episode? My least favorite is... I mean, it's really hard for me to choose a least favorite because I liked a whole lot of them. I I mean, every episode had a moment at least, at least once where I was like, I like that. Um, So I'm going to go under duress, episode two, all due respect. Um, It wasn't a bad episode, but the dog fighting thing one like stressed me out to watch oh yeah and then i just like the the mistake the hijinks of the mistake of thinking dog meant dog yeah um <laughs> i kind of like that i mean i i did but i have to choose a least favorite episode and yeah. just because and i understand why this happens narratively but how easily and quickly they gave away the wire yeah in pursuing cheese before yeah it's just mm. Yeah, I, it wasn't bad. I just like, I was like, eh, they seemed a bit s- silly in it. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that was, it was waiting for that to happen. It was just like, it's just one big setup and joke, yeah, basically. It's just one big joke. Yeah. Yeah, I'm similar. I don't have, think there was one particularly bad episode. I'm going to, under duress, pick episode six, Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because it's a lot of table setting and spinning wheels. Yeah. And for me, it was when I was starting... Because the next two episodes when I went, oh, man, this is starting to happen now. Like, everything felt like everything was in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, episode seven was the one I said that. So, six was just... The, I just remember it as being that point where I was like... The wait. Yeah. Just waiting for mm-hmm. things to really happen. It's And it, it wasn't without some drama at all. It just wasn't... It Later on episodes, it was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Favorite episode? So, it took me ages to kind of choose between two. I think I'm going to go with episode eight, Moral Midgetry. Um, so yeah, it's the one where I feel like if for me, it felt like everything was exploding. Sure. Um, everything was like changing. You know, you have Stringer telling Avon that he organized for D to get killed. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, did not expect that right now. Yeah. Because like the lead up to that was like, oh fuck, like the mum's figuring stuff out, yes. things are moving. Oh, yes. my God, he's in a corner. And then he lets it out this big old scary, terrifying cat out of the bag. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, what's going to happen? So we're like, there at that point. It's like, we're here. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's exactly it. It felt like a moment of arrival. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree with that. It was a great episode. Mm-hmm. Well, my favorite is episode nine, Slapstick, which is the very next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could have been episode eight. It could have been episode seven as well. Seven for a while. I was just getting really excited. It felt like oh, things were sorry. moving. Sorry, Can I on. also say in Moral Midgetry, it's the one where... Yeah, Brianna D's mum and McNulty had yes. that conversation, which I loved. Sorry, yeah, go on. absolutely. Um, no, yeah, uh, slapstick. So for me, in a lot of ways, it's where some of the chickens start coming home to roost. Carver, call, sorry, not Carver. Um, Hurt calls in Hamstam to the papers, and it's like you're waiting for that experiment mm-hmm. to have fallout. But most importantly, and it's interesting because it is a bit of a side story. It takes up a lot of this episode, but I, it was it stands out to me because of that. It's when Prez's storyline happens where he shoots the cop mm. and then he's... It's <laughs> yeah, just so heartbreaking and emotionally really um, resonant and you, it stands out. This is a show that spreads its stuff out over an entire season and you can look at that episode and go, that's the Prez storyline episode. Yeah. If you want to go back to it, that's yeah, where it true. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I really appreciate that that... Yeah, it's a, it's a standout episode of the show, I think. Very cool. Do you want to keep watching? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do as well. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns? I mean, my very vague prediction is that next season will um, be centered a little bit more about Marlo and uh, watching his crew. What else? We might see a bit more of Avon, maybe a little bit. 
I doubt it for some reason. I think he's done. As I said, he's like, if it is, it'll be a little bit because yeah. he's not coming out of jail anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a main player, but yeah. I think we'll see a little bit of him. Um, We've got a little bit of I Weeby think- this season as well, just a tiny bit. A little bit of what? A little bit of Weeby. Just a little bit of Weeby. At this oh, we did. Tiny little bit right at the start of the Isn't season. Isn't it Weebay? Weebay, sorry. Um, I was like, Weeby? Um, what else? A little what bit else? of Weebix. Weebix. <laughs> that would be my gangster name. <laughs> Um, what, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I hope we see I a little bit either. of McNulty. Um, and obviously, Carcetti, Ka- that's his name, right? Um, we'll see him. I, I'm excited to see where his role goes. It, I really am. It feels like, yeah, there's Carcetti's storyline ongoing. You would hope so because it feels like it was set up for next season. The yeah. election in general seems mm. to like it's going to be very important to next yep. season. And then the stuff that's happening with Cuddy, you would expect would go somewhere as well. And maybe, again, I feel like they're at opposite ends of that spectrum. Mm, so, yeah. um, hopefully that they're going to have different perspectives on the same yeah. stuff. But the thing is, I really, really don't mm. know because it feels like a lot yeah. of the obvious stuff's been taken away from us now. Well, I wonder like what the dynamic will be because I'm assuming Cuddy is going to come back. And obviously, like he's had some bonding moments with Carver. And how that's going to play yeah. a role in future seasons. Yeah, yeah that would be cool. Yeah, that would... Mm, okay. I've, I've got very little go on though. There's no obvious like Stringer Bell Avon yeah, thing coming up. Or... Cool. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to find us, you can contact us through our website, www.huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Hunting Seasons or on Twitter at Hunting S-Cast. Um, you can email us, contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S. Um, what have I been doing this week? Uh, a lot of talking about the Oscars, um, retweeting trailers for things like Lost in Space and stuff like that. I'm not sure what else I've been doing, really. Not, not as much talk on shootings in schools this week yeah thank goodness that's nice mm, just yeah. watching the fallout from trump administration as per usual every day every yeah. day what about you damask um so you can find me on twitter and instagram at maskymoo m-a-s-k-y-m-o-o i haven't been doing a whole lot on twitter i think so i go through stages where i just get twitter fatigue yeah like everything seems so awful that and the a lot of the dialogue that happens it just it seems so negative oscar on stuff, either side it's just like meh. it's the season of bad takes as well oscar season everyone's got to have an opinion on mm. all the stuff whether it was the show it's like I me mean, we already did it ourselves on the podcast but like it's just everyone complaining about the winners or the speeches or the political nature of the of the oscars or the lack of political nature or whatever it is and it just becomes like a free-for-all everyone just dumping on it one from yeah. different perspectives it's just a lot like of a little fighting exhausting. sometimes and i just need a break Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so follow us on Twitter or don't. Ignore that <laughs> horrible website. <laughs> that horrible website. I don't know. Uh, if you'd like to, we'd really appreciate um, some reviews, some stars, some hearts, some sharing of the podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on a bunch of different places now, Podbean, whatever it is. Um, anything you can do to help support and promote the podcast. We'd really appreciate that Appreciate that from you if you've enjoyed listening to us. A uh, quick thank you to Jordan uh, Jordan Calavis for our wonderful Hunting Seasons low. Uh, sorry, Hunting Seasons theme song. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash classicjrex. Thank you to Lucas Heil for our bumpers. You can find his work at birthdayloyaltyclub.com. And thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, who I normally put at the start of these, but switched up for some reason. Uh, for our lo- logo and graphics, you can find his work at Shawnee Boy Draws on Instagram and Twitter next week. We're going to be back for Jessica Jones Season 2. So let's just reconfirm. How are you feeling about that, Damask? I'm excited, but... 
also extremely nervous. Yeah. Because I just I don't want to be disappointed. I feel like they've disappointed me so much. What, what what what's going to excite you? What do you want to see? And what do you want to do? And what do you want to not do? I don't want it to be Jessica Jones light, where it's just some quippy stuff, and we don't have that real sense of anger and vulnerability that I really appreciated in the first season. Uh-huh. So I want to dive into who she is more, which I think that's certainly where they're going plot wise, but I hope they have some really great character moments mm-hmm. with her. I am worried that the villain that will be. Do we know anything about the villain? Do we? Wasn't that spoiled by casting? Um, I don't know. I know that someone's returning. Yeah, that's what. I'm... But do we? We don't necessarily know if they're the, the villain. Oh, that's true. It could just be flashbacks. So, I mean, later. I don't think. I, I think yeah. plot wise, we don't know very much from the trailers. Yeah, all I can mm. know is that she, there's definitely. She seems to be investigating what happened to her. That's definitely part of it. Her history is yeah. going to be part of it. Beyond that, I don't know anything. Yeah. They, don't, they don't haven't put say the purple man like they did in season one up front like they did. Yeah, with I the hope first it's season. not a rehashing. Because I think they did it so well the first time that I, yeah, I, I think that story's been explored. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I hope it's good. But because the first season seemed to really have quite a complete arc, it's hard for me to be like, oh, well, I think this is where they're going. Yeah. My, my big, I mean, what I want from the show is to be five good. episodes less than it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which it's not going to be. Yeah. I would like it if maybe they could just be restrained with their running times, if they keep more about the 40-minute mark and don't feel like they need to. Maybe Netflix has changed, who knows, and they aren't going to just draw out a couple of storylines over 13 fucking hours, which mm. is killing me at this stage. Yeah. That they've actually got enough to talk about and they're focused enough and it's interesting enough. But mostly I'm worried about that they cannot recapture the villain that made the first season so good. Yeah. If, My favorite Marvel villain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the like MCU slash Netflix. In the entire thing. Mm. Yeah. Even after Killmonger. Even after. I haven't seen it yet. Would you, oh, you haven't seen Black Panther yet? No. Fucking hell, Damascus. That's your homework this week. No, I'm not seeing it. I'm racist. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> a joke, by the this. way. No, I'm no, definitely going to no, see it. No, no, no. That's, she's, she's, you know, projecting things <laughs> It's here. out there. It's oh, out there shit. now. <laughs> the, yeah, my, my biggest worry is that so much of what made season one great because the stuff that was outside Jessica and and Kilgrave wasn't mm. great, and that if they can't find another great villain, then the show's Ooh, dead in the water to begin with. I really hope they like really delve into the f- friendship slash sisterhood of um, Jessica and her sister, whose name I can't remember, <laughs> the Australian actress. But yeah, I, I hope we see a lot of them together. Yeah, because I like their dynamic. I'm I'm worried. I'm worried. <laughs> you look worried. At least, at least if it's not going to be great, if it could just be outright terrible so I can just no. cut myself off from the Marvel's Netflix stuff completely, it'd be really great. Right. Just convince me finally that's not worth doing anymore. Yeah. I mean, if it's anything less than great, I th- well, I think I'm done. Yeah. Certainly, I'm not watching anything else. Like if, yeah, no, 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 no. Not for the podcast. No. Uh, the thing is, I'm not sure anyone's watching anymore. It feels mm. like the general hype around them is the the defender stuff is done anyway. Yeah, it's over. Defenders was just such a fucking fizzle. Anyway, <laughs> thanks so very cute. much for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next week to talk ecstatically about Jessica Jones <laughs> season two. Obviously, catch you then. Bye.
Melbourne's Podcast Network. EarbudsNetwork.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 